All right, welcome to the big show. Larry Kruger, Jesse Naylor, Vish Kumarin. We have a page out for Vish. He confirmed earlier. So we we think he's going to be here. He's calling. Hold on. Oh, he's calling. He's calling. He's calling Jesse. So hold on. Welcome to the Krug Show meets uh, the big show on a Thursday night. Hope everybody's having a great night. We're brought to you by Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in all of Northern California. Check them out in Emeryville and Corte Madera. They're open seven days a week from 11 a.m. till 8 p.m. or until they run out. Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in Northern California. Also brought to you by Marin Auto Glass, marinautoglass.com, 415-883-3030 and underdog fantasy and mojo fantasy check that link in the description hit the promo code krug k-r-u-e-g and they will match you up to your first 100 dollars. sorry that we are late it is seven o'clock on the west coast ten o'clock on the east coast um jesse what do he say he's en route he'll be here in just a minute so oh, okay. let's right. get this thing going and then we'll uh we'll bring vision Let's do it. Um, you know, a bunch of topics. I mean, we have a bunch of things we want to get to. I was down in Santa Clara today, had a chance to talk to Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, um, Nick Bosa, who doesn't talk a whole lot, and Fred Warner. I would say the most interesting thing news-wise that came out of it was that Brandon Ayuk said that the Niners front office, the one he said he, he admitted that he was disappointed that he didn't make the pro bowl. Um, and then kind of made a reference to, you know, all those other receivers that made the pro bowl are going to have to roll through here. Kind of a thing. Like, like he wants payback. Um, and then he was asked if the Niner front office has had any communication with him regarding a contract extension Niners. He's not a free agent this off season. Uh, the Niners don't have him to have to give him a contract extension this off season, but we all expect that they will. And he said, yeah, the 49ers have reached out to his agent and then he kind of dodged the rest of it by saying, but I haven't talked to my agent uh, about exactly what they've offered, which no, I don't know if I believe that, to be completely honest. Hey, did the Niners call? Yeah. <laughs> did they make an <laughs> offer about what, what they're going to pay me in the future? Yeah. I will talk about it later. Uh, I'm, you know, securing my family and, and my personal finances. Ah, it's not that important. We'll hit it later. I think that was just kind of a convenient way to, get out of answering any follow-up questions, Jesse, about, you know, the contract or are they close? Are they not close? It's a bargaining deal. My guess is it's probably too low uh, initially because that's the way these bargaining things go. But what's your read on, on Ayuk and when the 49ers will extend him? Cause he is far and away their number one free agent priority. Yeah, well, first, let's talk about the Pro Bowl thing. It's it's interesting that he was willing to... That's why I like Brandon Ayuk a lot, too, because he's so... He just seems so genuine, so honest, and sincere with everything that, that comes out of his mouth. And him saying that he was kind of bummed a little bit about the Pro Bowl, he should be, because that's a bargaining chip when it comes to getting paid. That's exactly what that is. Also, I think it would probably just feel good to know that you're a Pro Bowler. And I love that he's using it to fuel his fire. Like, hey, these these Pro Bowl receivers, they've got to run through Santa Clara. We'll see how that goes for him. So I did like that. As far as negotiations, I'm sure the 49ers have potentially reached out and given him a low ball offer or just kind of gauging where he's at. 
But also the 49ers kind of wait on these things. You know, if he were to get signed this offseason, I got to imagine it's closer to training camp. And even then, he's only going into his fifth-year option. Do they do it this offseason? Do it? Do they do it the season after? Not quite sure, but I wouldn't expect it to happen anytime soon before the draft. Certainly not. That's just not the way the 49ers have done business up until this point. So, you know, do you, do you feel that B.A. was snubbed? I don't know if we talked about this last week, but I, I yeah, feel I like, I, I, well, I just want to say I can see that, but I could also see a scenario where he wasn't necessarily snubbed. You got seven of the top 10 receivers as far as yardage go coming out of the NFC. That makes it tough. I understand his yards per catch and all those numbers are fantastic, but Pro Bowl a lot of the times comes down to just overall volume, the accumulative number. There's also something special about having 100 catches in a season, and it has been that way for a while. So when you get guys like Puka Nakua reaching those milestones, really, to me, Evans was the one, not Puka, that probably shouldn't have made it. But then I can make a case for Amon Ross St. Brown, who I think is also a very good player. So I think there's a case to be made for B.A. I don't know if he was necessarily snubbed. Well, I mean, it depends what you, uh, you know. I mean, this kind of goes back to our tired and lengthy discussion about <laughs> about touchdown yeah. production. Yeah, I yeah. said, hey, you know, I was a little disappointed because he had two touchdowns at the halfway mark. Then he went off. What did he finish with? Eight? Something like that. Eight, Something yeah. Like that. Um, and Evans had 13. You know, so, you know, I mean, that's a lot more touchdowns. So if you're, if touchdowns is your thing, then Evans deserved it over, over uh, Brandon. But to me, I mean, efficiency is a big part of it as well. And I, I don't know if I would have picked Evans off of there, but I mean, Puka Nakua did catch, uh, he did go for over 1400 yards, but Brandon went for 1300 yards and Puka did it on, you know, 150 targets and Brandon did it on 97 targets. So efficiency on some level has to come into play. So I don't know to me also, I'm also kind of a believer that in all sports, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, that you have to kind of prove yourself and the veterans get a slight at, you know, edge they should over the guys who are doing it one time. And I thought that, Puka would have been the guy, and it's like um, that that I would have taken it away from for Ayuk. But I, Puka's there in L.A. He had fourteen hundred plus yards receiving. He was very very impressive. So I get it. I mean, I do understand. The great Vish Kumaran is here. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that, Larry. I got home from work. I went straight to the nap, and then I just see my phone. Missed call from Jesse Naylor. <laughs> missed call from Larry Lu- Larry Kruger. I almost called you Larry Luger. I don't know where that came from. Oh, my God. What's up? I'm so sorry about that. How are you doing? It's been so long. Yeah, seriously. How was, how was India? Dude, I mean, we can get into that. It was good. It was solid, but I'm sure it wasn't as good as how the Krug show has been doing the last month. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. Well, we were just talking about um, Ayuk and whether or not he was snubbed or not snubbed for the Pro Bowl. And I was just saying that, you know, Puka, you know, Puka, come on, man. I mean, Puka um, had 1,400 yards, but Ayuk had 1,300 yards. Um, and the touchdowns were similar. But Puka did it in 150 targets, and Ayuk did it in 97 targets. And also, if Ayuk's the veteran, Puka's the rookie. Um, 
and and we were mentioning Evans before as well. Evans made the Pro Bowl, and and whether or not Ayuk was snubbed, he was asked about it today. That's why we brought it up, mm-hmm. and he said, "Yeah, he said he felt like he was." You know, he didn't say the word snubbed, but he just he said he was disappointed that he didn't make the Pro Bowl, and then he kind of made it seem like, you know what, we're going to get payback in the playoffs, kind of a thing. Where are you on? Did Ayuk get snubbed, and did he get snubbed for Evans, or did he get snubbed for Puka? And I, all I would say on the snub factor is get in line, right? I mean, I agree he was snubbed, but Amon Ra was snubbed. And to me, the guy who was, who's the biggest snub was, that I maybe ever seen was uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. in Tampa. Yeah. Who had yeah. An amazing yeah. Yeah. statistical yeah. season, and he didn't make it. So I think if you're in the snub argument, I think Antoine Winfield's probably got the best argument. Yeah. So you're 100% correct there. I think. Antoine Winfield is probably the biggest snub. Is Brandon Ayuka a snub? 100%. We're talking about one of the more efficient receiver seasons of all time. How many of his targets went for first downs? I think Kyle Posey posted the stat immediately after the season. I would expect everybody to go look at Kyle Posey's stats because you would expect me to say it right there, but I don't know it off the top of my head. I know Kyle posted it. I'm sure you should go look at it. It was a large percent of his targets that went for first downs. He is 100% a snub when you look at his statistical output. I think he ended the season averaging 18.2 yards per catch, which is unheard of. The guy was extremely efficient. The problem is, you're right, Puka could have definitely been looked at if Puka didn't make it as a snub in Brandon Ayuk's place. Mike Evans could have been looked at as a snub if Brandon Ayuk made it over either of those guys. So I don't know if you can necessarily look at Brandon Ayuk and say he should have made it over those two guys. But I think when you look at the entire list, you look at Brandon Ayuk's season, you can definitely say Brandon Ayuk should have made it. He was a snub. Um. You know, so let's get into some of the other things we wanted to get into, which obviously let's start with the playoffs this weekend. Um, Where are you guys with the playoffs? Um, You know, there's a bunch of good matchups. You know, I, we could go right down the list and, and, uh, and, and give us your thoughts on them. Why don't we just start right with the schedule in order Cleveland, Houston, Um, man, this is a tough one for me because, I like Cleveland, but I'm rooting for D'Amico. Um, it's C.J. Stroud, a rookie quarterback against the number one defense in football. I, I, I'm going to take Cleveland on the on the uh, on the road over over the Houston Texans. I think the Houston Texans just really miss Tank Dell, and I think they're just kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team. Cleveland, on the other hand, does turn it over a ton, but they do take it away a lot as well. I'm going to go with the Browns and Flacco and the defense on the road. Where are you guys at in that game? I I agree. I think, but Denzel Ward, I believe, came up limp. He had a injury, knee injury, so now he's questionable. So that evens things out a little bit. And I think the first time they played, I want to say that C.J. Stroud didn't play. I, I could be mistaken on that, but I think he might have missed that game. It might have been one of his concussion games he missed. So yeah. this, might, yeah, I think this is the first time that he's actually facing them. And the game was close-ish score-wise, but really, I mean, that was a blowout by all means when you watch the game. But yeah, I think this is, I think it'll be fun for C.J. Stroud to get his feet wet a little bit. It's in Houston, so that levels the playing field a little bit, but I just ultimately think that Cleveland's a, a better team, and Joe Flacco's, we'll see if he still has it in him, but I can tell you this, up to this point, he's been a way different quarterback when it comes to the postseason than it has been compared to the regular season, he's been elite 
when it comes to the postseason. So we'll see if that continues. But I'm going to go Cleveland. Yeah, I'm with both of you on Cleveland. I, I think Cleveland is that one boogeyman um, in the NFL. I mean, I think a lot of us look at it in Baltimore and San Francisco are clearly the best teams in the NFL. I think most people would stand there, especially after the season is done. Well, Cleveland beat both of those teams. They beat Baltimore, they beat the Niners, and they beat them fairly handedly. Cleveland's a very dangerous squad. Their defense is very good. I, I think Jesse's right that Denzel Ward being out is a big injury. I don't know what's going on because he hurt his knee, and it seems like it's a little more serious than you would expect for an average knee injury of a star player in the playoffs. It seems like, hey, Denzel Ward could be out for a while. Um, so that's definitely something to monitor. I think the Joe Flacco angle in all of this is interesting simply because he has played decently well, way better than you would expect Joe Flacco to play for the Cleveland Browns. And then you add the fact that, hey, if Joe Flacco gets some momentum in the playoffs, all of a sudden Cleveland's this really dangerous team because you know Joe Flacco is going to have no issue going into Baltimore. He's going to have no issue going into Buffalo. The guy has done this. He's He's been there. He's been on the road in the playoffs. So I think the entire Cleveland factor is interesting. Houston's an amazing story. Stroud has had an amazing rookie season. It's been amazing to watch D'Amico. But Cleveland is this veteran team that looks, I, I think, of all the wildcard teams in the entire NFL, most prime uh, to be the wildcard team that makes it all the way. Where are you on the Miami-Kansas City game? Uh, they say it's going to be like zero degrees or two degrees. Mahomes is 9-2 and two in the playoffs, but I just think Miami is, is I mean, Miami's defensively, what's happened to Miami? I mean, they lost Chubb. They lost Jalen Phillips. The front uh, they, seven is hurt, man. Ogba's yeah, they hurt. just signed Bruce Irvin and Justin Houston, like like yep. literally like Tuesday. So I, I can't see Miami, and I think it was a terrible decision for Miami to sign up for the in-season hard knocks. It, they were good shows, and I enjoyed it, but... <laughs> Um, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think hard knocks is a good thing in training camp, but I really think it's a bad idea in season. I like Kansas city to route here. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Kansas city should win this one going away. Everything goes in the favor of Kansas city from weather to experience. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, two is just not a very, two is okay. I guess I'm not going to say he's not a very good quarterback. He's starting level. He's kind of a mid tier quarterback, but I, Miami's going to make a mistake, it feels like, and pay this guy long-term, and I think that would be a disaster. It, it's kind of it's interesting because from far away, it's almost like we're watching them go through what the 49ers did with Jimmy G, where they get fooled into thinking that he's way better than what he is, and he's got all these efficient numbers, and two years in a row, over 100 quarterback rating, and his EPA, and all these other metrics that nobody knows what the hell they mean. They're all incredible, so two is incredible. And it's like, well, have you actually watched the games? Because if you have, you would realize he's none of those things that you think he is or try to paint him to be with the statistics. So I, I think that two is just way under man here. And in the cold weather, it's going to be a disaster. I remember watching them in Buffalo at like 45, 50 degree weather. And they brought heaters for the sideline because they weren't acclimated to 45, 50 degree weather. Imagine what it's going to look like at four degrees with a wind chill of negative 17. Good luck. Where are you, Vish, with this one? Yeah, I'm in the same spot. I agree with everything Larry said, but uh, or excuse me, Jesse said. I mixed up the two of you. It's been so long. But I'll go <laughs> the other angle. I'll talk about Kansas City. I think this is a great opportunity for Kansas City. So we were very wrong in our preseason projection of Kansas City, especially me, right? I looked at them and I saw, 
replacing Rasheed Rice with Juju Smith or replacing Juju Smith Schuster, excuse me, with Rasheed Rice. It's not going to make much of a difference. Kansas City lost Tyreek Hill. They were a dominant team. They're going to be an even more dominant team this year, and they've struggled in a lot of ways. But I think this NFC, this AFC matchup that they get at home versus um, the Dolphins who are reeling, right? Two weeks ago, the Miami Dolphins were playing for the one seed in the NFL. Now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they get blown out by Baltimore, and then they lose to Buffalo at home with the division on the line. They're really reeling. They're injured all across their front seven. Obviously, the Tua issue, um, Jesse covered it, but I think it's a good I, I, it's a good way to look at Kansas City and what's their identity because their identity is not Patrick Mahomes in these playoffs. And to me, the question is, do Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes embrace the fact that their best chance to win the Super Bowl this year is pounding Isaiah Pacheco and relying on their defense? Miami, in that cold weather, is a really great opportunity to see if Kansas City have discovered their identity. Because if they haven't and they're still dropping Mahomes back against a weakened Miami defense, I don't think they have a really good shot at the Super Bowl. And I do think that Kansas City that relies on Pacheco and that defense, while it's not the most dangerous version of Kansas City we've seen under Reid and Mahomes, it is a dangerous version of Kansas City because they would still have an opportunity to win in these playoffs. When they're not doing that, I don't really look at their opportunity as big. So I'm with Jesse that Kansas City wins that game. But from the Kansas City angle, I look at it and say this is a great opportunity for them to establish a brand new identity in these playoffs. I don't well, think two I, are, Oh, go ahead, Jesse. I, I just want to say real quick, though, too, what's interesting about that is that's the right model. But then you also have the kicker of, okay, if we keep the game close and where we need a touchdown to go win this thing, we have all the trust in the world on the right. best quarterback in his right arm. So that's, you get, you really get the best of both worlds. Like kind of be a game manager, even though you're the best quarterback in the world, mm -hmm. but when we need you to go make a play, we trust you fully to make that play. Right. It, go ahead, Larry. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I don't think Tua reads the field. I mean, I, I yeah. think Tua reminds me a lot of Jimmy in that, like he's got a great offensive coordinator that sets it up for him and designs these amazing plays. And a lot of times he can get by on the first read <laughs> or what the coordinator di dials up for him. But if he can't and you can take away that read, he doesn't read the coverage. I mean, you guys saw him throw into double coverage two plays in a row back to back against Buffalo in the fourth quarter with the game on the line. And, um, and all Buffalo had to do was just kind of take away the initial read, make him read the field a little bit. And it was like lights out. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering if we're, if Tua is kind of, I don't want to say a fraud. Cause I mean, that's a little harsh, but he kind of reminds me a little bit of Kaepernick in that the league's adjusted to him. Can he adjust back? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, I wonder about that. And then I don't know if you guys have a thought on that, but then as far as Kansas City goes, I like Kansas City to win this game and I like Kansas City to route. But I think there's been way too much made of the wide receiver drops. And I think feel I feel like Kansas City's got way a ton of other flaws that nobody ever gets to because they lead the league in drops right. and they lead the league in drops by wide receivers. But their tackles are heavily penalized. Mm -hmm. Kelsey's looking old. Mm -hmm. um, they're just not quite the same team. I mean, it's, it's a weird thing. And now we're going to find out not in this game, but we're going to find out in these playoffs. Can Mahomes venture out on the road with kind of a flawed offensive team and still get it done? Cause he's got a great D Jones, mm -hmm. those linebackers. I like all three levels of their D, but um, 
all this talk about the drops, the drops, the drops. Right. Their line ain't great. No, 100%. The interior of their line is very good, though. Yeah. And the they can run the good. football behind that interior, and that's what I'm talking about. But I, I want to address what you brought up about Miami because I'm with both of you 100% on Tua. Like, I stand right in that same realm. But I think when we just talk about Tua in this case, I think Mike McDaniel escapes the criticism. And I, I don't think that Mike McDaniel deserves too much of the criticism, but I think there's an aspect of it I wanted to discuss with the two of you um, now that we're here. And it's that Shanahan and McVay, specifically their successors, they seem to build soft football teams, man. Uh, it, it just seems to be the case. Green Bay is soft, right? Matt LaFleur, Green Bay, they've been soft the entire Matt LaFleur tenure. Mike McDaniel, Miami, they're a soft football team. They're just a soft football team. When the game gets a little physical, it gets away from their identity. The Niners, the Rams, and the Niners are much more physical than even the Rams. That's where the Shanahan McVay in this gets interesting to me. But they build teams that are built on speed, built on creativity, but also are extremely physical football teams. We've seen what you know the Rams were able to do going into Baltimore and cope with that physicality. We saw what the Niners did dismantling Philly, dismantling Dallas. I don't know how those wins necessarily reflect now that the season's over and Philadelphia fell off, but those are still dominant wins against physical football teams at their peaks when they beat them. I, I think that there's an issue with McDaniel as well in terms of staying committed to the fact that this year, um, last year this wasn't necessarily the case, but this year Mostert and A-Chain were pretty dominant, especially when they had both of them. And McDaniel wasn't necessarily fully committed to running the football. He put the ball into his hands in quite a bit of moments when he could have taken it out of his hands. I agree with both of you on Tua. I'm not the biggest Tua fan. I think Tua, in a lot of ways, is flawed. But I think there's also a Mike McDaniel's aspect to this. Is he was the Niners' famous run game coordinator. And they're not as committed to the run as they can be. They're not as committed to the run as they should be. And they're a little softer than a team that should be able to identify themselves as a team that can run the ball can be. All right, let's let's jump to Pittsburgh Buffalo. And this one from what I'm hearing is going to be like 50 mile an hour wins and and it's a big number too. It's Buffalo minus 10. It's opened at 9. I think it's up to 10. Um this is going to be 10 a.m. on the West Coast, noon in Central uh time zone on on uh, Sunday. Buffalo was 6 and 6 and it looked like they were circling the drain, but they've now won 5 in a row. And they kind of scare me the most in the AFC because if they get to the Super Bowl and they're facing the Niners, they will have won eight in a row. Um, so Josh Allen, you know, everybody goes, oh, Josh Allen, Josh Allen. He doesn't win in the playoffs. OK, but if you look at those numbers, he's he's been good in the playoffs. He's just been getting beat. I mean, he's 500 in the playoffs, uh, but the numbers are, are pretty decent um, at, to me, though, in this particular game. I, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I like Buffalo, but I don't know if I like Buffalo against that number. And I think Pittsburgh's going to be able to run the ball. And I don't know that the Bills can run the ball in this game. And if, if, if there really are 50-mile-an-hour wins, that could take out the passing game and make this a run-only type game. And I don't know if I love the Buffalo Bills rushing attack, even though they're home. How, how do you guys – I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean with Buffalo, but – um, and I think they could destroy them if they get up up early, especially against Mason Rudolph. But if this game in any way is plays with Pittsburgh with a lead, I could see this thing being a nail biter to the end. I mean, and that's the other thing. Buffalo's been Jekyll and Hyde. They've been some weeks they look awesome. In other weeks, they look pathetic. I mean, this team right. looks so bad against Denver. 
earlier this year. I could not believe it. Where are you in Buffalo, Pittsburgh? Go ahead, Vish. Yeah, I that I I think you bring up a really good point about Buffalo. And this is the same Buffalo team that during this streak, they barely beat the Chargers. And that was no Justin Herbert. I think that was post-Brandon Staley firing. You would expect a red-hot Buffalo team to just obliterate that Chargers team. And it was a very back and forth, and they kind of eked out that win. Buffalo is Jekyll and Hyde, as you described it. I ultimately think they win this game just because I believe in Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen's a great quarterback. Now I think, you know, Josh Allen isn't the perfect quarterback, and I think his turnovers tend to get amplified for whatever reason. Um, And I think his turnovers aren't necessarily great, but I think that oftentimes they come late and down. Um, Oftentimes they're not necessarily too um, controversial or necessarily um, um, circumstantial in terms of what ends up happening in the outcome of the game and when he turns the football over. I think it's just the sheer number and the volume of turnovers we've seen on national TV that makes us continuously talk about it. And then the touchdowns obviously are incredible his running his um, passing all of it combined together he's a true star quarterback he's a true playmaker um and I I just look at it man like I I believed in the Steelers making the playoffs it's been a lot uglier than I thought it would be like I had faith in Kenny Pickett before the season talk about being wrong turns out Mason Rudolph can do what the Steelers need to do to have this grimy playoff run this gross playoff run I think the Steelers would be dangerous to Baltimore if they beat um the bills just because they've beaten Baltimore. They play Lamar Jackson very well. TJ Watt all of a sudden might come back out of nowhere. Um, I agree with you, Larry. I think it's going to be a gross game, but I can't bet against Josh Allen on this one. I think there's too just much Josh the Allen, bills. Mason Rudolph. And you're like, that's it. Next yeah, game. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I just, I can't look at that. And it's against my football religion to sit here and tell you, Oh yeah. Mason Rudolph is pulling that one off. Well, the wind can be a great equalizer if you really can't throw. But I think at that point, Najee Harris is not an explosive back by any means. Right. I mean, he's, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. If if Buffalo is able to also key in with their defense. And I, Buffalo, surprisingly, and, and I really noticed this against Dallas. Sometimes you see teams on the field versus other teams. You're like, wow, that's a... It's a big team. 49ers 2019 really kind of dwarfed a lot of their opponents and and surprised a lot of people. You heard the guys on the telecast talk about it. Like, man, when you see the 49ers, they're just bigger than everybody else. Buffalo kind of gives you that a little bit. And when I saw them against Dallas, it was very shocking, the physicality difference from a size and a stature standpoint. So Buffalo is is not soft by any means. Now, they're not the best running team, although this is the best they've ever ran the ball with Josh Allen there. And I would say with, uh, you know, playoff Lenny being there, you got Cooks, and then you've also got Josh Allen, who's mobile. I think that would be enough to get it done, even if nobody can throw the ball. So I'm still going to go with Buffalo at that standpoint. But that would, if the wins are that bad, then the 10-point thing is very hard to trust anybody to win by 10. Buffalo's D is getting healthy. Isn't Von Miller back? Daquan Jones is going to be mm-hmm. back. Steelers are not going to have TJ. Who is that? Ed Oliver has had a terrific season for them. Mm-hmm. He's a great player. And then there's no, I don't believe there's Minka. He hasn't practiced. Minka's going to play. He is going to go. Oh, is he? I thought I thought I saw that. I think TJ Watt is probably going to be out, and then Minka is going to play. That's what I thought I saw. Wow. Coming into this week, Minka hadn't practiced, but he probably is going to give it a go, but he's not 100%, and obviously no T.J. Watt. And they're loaded at that position because they they can throw Nick Herbig and Highsmith, so they have other guys, but nobody's T.J. Watt. 
Um, I like Buffalo. All right, let, let's go to let's go to the second game on Sunday, one thirty on the West Coast, uh, three thirty East Coast, or I should say four thirty East Coast, three thirty Central. Packers Dallas, and this game, I first thought Dallas. My first thought is Dallas gets this done. Dallas is at home. Dallas is, you know, CeeDee Lamb's amazing. Prescott's going to, is, 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 you know, really been playing well. Um, you know, I just think Dallas, I mean, CeeDee Lamb since what, week five has been just one Arguably of the most unstoppable. The sport. Yeah. yeah, he looks awesome. And Dallas probably has too much. And Deron Bland has got, you know, has had an amazing year. He's got five pick sixes. They got a lot of rush. They'll probably get a lead. They'll probably put, uh, put Green Bay away. Okay, then I started looking at Green Bay. And you know what? Green Bay is the team that you got to watch out for because Gutekunst, the general manager there, has done an amazing freaking job. And their coach is a little bit underrated. I mean, that guy, he does nothing but win games. Jordan loves playing well. Uh, they still got Aaron Jones. They got a lot of young talent. Uh, Musgrave. They got multiple tight ends. They got multiple receivers. Um, their D line with Devontae Wyatt kind of leading the way is doing doing some really nice things. I mean, I mean they got Rashawn Gary and they got some ball hawks in the backside with J- Jair Alexander, Savage. I don't know, man. I, I just think I don't believe in Dallas. I never have. I think Green Bay is going to go there and they're going to make a game of that. Now, I'll I'll take Green Bay in the seven and a half. But um, the the spread I don't think is going to come into play. I think Green Bay either wins this thing outright or Dallas gets a comfortable one-sided win. But Jordan Love in his last like eight games has 18 touchdowns and one pick. And he's playing well. It's incredible. They're yeah. playing yeah, well. Um, I, I Dallas is looking over their shoulder. McCarthy is coaching to keep his job. You know, you got big guys like Belichick and Harbaugh. Uh, sitting out there, and Jerry's not commit been non-committal about his future. There's a lot of pressure on McCarthy here. Normally, I'd say that's a good thing, but I don't know if that's a good thing here. I'm going to take Green Bay. I think they're going to show up in Dallas, feeling like you know, like they like it doesn't matter. Loose. I think Dallas is tight. I think Green Bay's loose. I like Green Bay because they're loose. Man, I if this was in Green Bay, I would agree, and I think Green Bay actually beat them in green Bay, if I'm not mistaken this year. So it's not that far fetched to think that green Bay can win this game, but I just think Dallas is a different beast at home. Dak for, you know, all the crap that he gets about not being clutch and what have you. I mean, you give him a home game and and he tends to play well. This team hasn't lost a regular season home game, I think in two seasons. And I just don't think that green Bay can bring some of the issues that a San Francisco 49ers obviously can present or some of these other teams, they definitely can keep up offensively. They have some names on defense, but they're not, they're probably not the best coach on defense. I don't know about schematically. There's a lot of problems there. Jair Alexander, speaking of injuries, went down with an ankle injury in practice today or yesterday. So now he's questionable. That's a big loss. If he's not able to play, Sounds like Stefan Gilmore is going to play with a brace on his shoulder. So ultimately, I just think Dallas Cowboys have a little bit too much talent, but it can be fun. I think that can be a real fun game to watch, and I could see a shootout. And I will say this. You talked about Dallas being tight. Well, Green Bay is going to play about as loose as, as possible. You could see some trick plays going forward on fourth down, not giving an F 
as far as what the outcome is, because really they're playing with house money. This is a team that last year with Aaron Rodgers couldn't make the playoffs. Jordan Love takes over. They make the playoffs year one. They're only ascending from here. They're a very young team. They should be getting better. This is this is all out house money for them. So yeah, you, they could be a dangerous dog. I, I definitely could see that for sure, but I'm going to go with Dallas. Yeah, I, I agree with elements of both of everything you guys said, except I'm going to go with Dallas as well. I think Dallas at home has been one of the more, it's been San Francisco and Baltimore that are clearly the two most dominant teams in the sport. And then I think third is Dallas at home. I think Dallas at home this year has been just a dominant football team. I think Green Bay's defense, um, I, I don't believe in anything Joe Barry's doing there. I know that they he was more aggressive. He blitzed more at the end of the year. This is this only guy that's made Bryce Young look like a competent quarterback in the last 17 weeks. weeks. And I was a Bryce Young fan. But that rookie season was not ideal. Um, what surrounded him was not ideal. And they struggled against just about everybody besides Joe Barry in this defense. There's a lot of talent on this defense, a lot of first-round picks invested on this defense. But for whatever reason, they haven't put it together schematics and um, talent-wise. I think their offense is good. I think both of you guys are right. Jordan Love is red hot. He is good. But I think that there's something about coming into – um, a big playoff game on the road at Dallas against a veteran team with a bunch of young players. I think it is a learning experience. I think it's difficult to do. I agree Green Bay is playing with house money. I think the Aaron Jones element with him getting healthy and him playing underrated, really, really excellent the last couple of weeks is going to be a factor. I'm with you, Krug, on Green Bay covering. I'm with you, Jesse, on this being a close game, but I think Dallas will pull it out. You know, Watson it's funny. to be back too. I think Who Watson is? will be back. Watson should Christian be back. Watson. He's been out. Yeah, he's been out. I mean, here's the only thing about Dallas is the reason I think they're so overrated. They played seven games this year against the Giants, the Jets, the Pats, the Panthers, and mm -hmm. the Commanders. And that's a lot of games, man. And they won those games by an average of over 30 points a game. Right. But then when you look at what they did against the better teams on their schedule, the margins were much closer and those games were much tighter. And I, I'm just, I'm looking at Green Bay. I kind of hope Dallas wins because I'm looking at Green Bay, guys. Green Bay scares the S out of me. Um, Dobbs and Watson, Jaden Reed had a hundred yard day last week. In the last month, Dontavian Wicks is playing yeah. amazing. They oh. have Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave. Um, that's just a lot of offensive weapons. And then what really scares me about Green Bay is that Rashawn Gary, Devontae Wyatt, Kenny Clark are really, really good. And those guys were all number one picks. They drafted this kid out of Bowling Green in the sixth round named Carl Brooks. Uh, he wears 94. He's now given them a lot. Um, so, I mean, they're going to be able to put some heat on you up front if they get a lead. And um, I think they're kind of opportunistic on the back end. I, I don't know. I, I, I fear Green Bay. Now, they may, they're probably a next year play, but, um, you know, and they could get to, they could just show up in this moment could be too big. But guys, this is the youngest team we've seen in this spot ever almost. Mm -hmm. Like their average age on this team's like 24, 25. They're like one of the youngest playoff teams in the NFL in years. So they're young, but they're so young that they don't know that they're not supposed to be here. So uh, that's the thing that makes me nervous there. Um, as I said, I could see that going either way, but I'll, I'll take Green Bay in the points. All right, let's talk about the showdown in Detroit because I think most people 
myself included at first glance said Stafford and Puka and cup and, and uh, Higby and Tutu and the Rams are going to show up and they're going to be able to put up 30 and the lions past. He's no good. And the lions are, are limping home, but this crowd is going to be going crazy. And I know there's no Sam Laporta. Um, and he might play. Is he going to play? I mean, is that knee looked really bad last week? Is Brian Branch going to play? I, I don't know about Branch, but I saw something that Laporta is going to put a brace on and play. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to go with Detroit just because Detroit in that atmosphere, I think that place is going to be absolutely rocking and rolling. And I just think that Jared Goff, if he, whatever Jared Goff's best game is, he's going to fire it here. I mean, McVay kicked him to the curb. He had taken them to the Super Bowl. Um, and now, you know, Dan Campbell's put his arm around him. He's got two running backs. If Laporta can play, I'll be shocked. But if he can, I love Laporta. I love their weapons. I love their offensive line. And on defense, C.J. Gardner-Johnson is now back. He had a pick last week, and he looked like he hadn't missed any time at all. So I think he's a major player. I think he's one of the reasons that Philly's not good is they don't have him. So I'm going to take the Lions in a shootout over the Rams. I think this is going to be a very high-scoring, back-and-forth, up-and-down kind of game. I just don't think the Rams' defense can stop the Lions, and I don't think the Lions' defense can stop the Rams, but I think the Lions with um, you know home field and some of the great individual talents they have get a couple of stops and it's just enough for them to win a shootout. So I'm going Lions over Rams, but I don't don't feel great about it. But um, I I have a hard time picturing the Lions losing their first playoff game at home since, what, 91 or something like that? Brian Branch was a full full go as well. So go ahead. I was going to say, Jesse, if you don't mind, I'll go on this because I 100% agree right now with you, Krug. I've seen this be like the popular expert upset pick which is Rams going to Lions and win. And I see the reasons for it. You look at Stafford, I I likely look at him as the best quarterback in the NFC, but certainly a seasoned veteran quarterback going on the road, like you would expect that to be the team that does it. But I, I look at this matchup and I've seen a lot of weird comparisons for the Rams, like the 2011 Giants. I've seen that comparison. I don't see it. And, and it's simply because I don't see a team that can go on the road and put pressure on the quarterback. That's what made the 2011 Giants special. They could go on the road and put pressure on the quarterback. That's not something I see this Rams team doing. Byron Young had a very nice rookie season, but outside of Aaron Donald, this isn't the kind of front four that's going to go other places and have success. I I know Detroit isn't the greatest team, but Detroit at home with that offensive line against this defense with Jared Goff and Jameer Gibbs and uh, David Montgomery, they're going to put up points. And I understand that the Rams have found this avenue to put up points. It's not just Stafford. They've really found a serious run game this year with Kyron Williams and McVay, and that's successful. I don't know that that's enough to go against this defense with the Lions, which I don't know if that's great. But at home with Aiden Hutchinson and company, they're going to get pressure. I'm not 100% certain on this game, but Krug, I see it the same way. I see a shootout, and I see the Lions eking it out because I think they're more capable of getting one stop at home than the Rams are on the road. Jesse, what do you think? Man, I this game I think is going to be this is the one to watch. This is the best game of the weekend in my opinion and this is what I wanted. I wanted to see Stafford go back, play Detroit. It's a great story. Just like I think I want to see the Browns 
and Joe Flacco go to the Ravens. I mean, these are stories yeah. that you want to follow as a football fan. So for me, I love this matchup. I am going to go with the Rams, though. Uh, a couple reasons. One, they did get to rest last week, and I think that's going to be crucial for them. You're also talking about a team that has Super Bowl experience and tons of playoff experience. Head coach has been there. Quarterback's been there. A lot, lot of players on that offense have been there. And over the last six weeks, not this last week included because their starters really didn't play, but the six weeks prior, they've been averaging 31.3 points a game. And they put up 31 and 37, I believe, respectfully, against Cleveland and Baltimore. Mm-hmm. That, that's a big deal to me. And Baltimore the Baltimore being an early start on the road. Right, on the road in the rain. So I just, the way I look at it is, if it's going to be two offenses going head-to-head, then I'm going to go with the quarterback that I trust most. And if Goff gets pressure in his face, I don't trust it. And I do trust Stafford. So I'm going to go with Stafford just simply being better than Goff and them ultimately winning that game. But man, I really could see this going either way. And I'm rooting for the the Lions. I mean, I, I would love for their fan base to get a win. I think it would mean a lot for them. They deserve it. Uh, you know, it's funny, though. The only thing I'll say about this game is that, man, if the Rams do get it done, then so much for the old saying, well, there's three in phases of the game because the Rams are bad in two of the three phases. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great offense, but it's a lousy special teams, and it's just a marginal D. Um, and Aaron Donald's not the player that he was, but maybe staff, I'll say this about the Rams. The Rams not only put up 30 a game, they put up 30 a game against good defenses. Mm-hmm. They did it to the Niners. They did it to the Ravens. They did it to the Browns. I mean, I don't know that they can be stopped. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a complete Detroit team with a pasty that's kind of iffy, um, a more complete Detroit team against a one third of a Ram team, but that one third is spectacular. Um, I think it's a shootout. I think that's a field goal game anyway. You slice it. It might be who's got the ball last wins, but I think the crowd's going to carry the Lions to victory there. Let, Campbell's going to go for two I, and they're going to blow I, it <laughs> from the 10. I think, I think that aggression <laughs> yeah. with Campbell and Ben Johnson is going to play a difference, but I, I think the other aspect of it is I think the Lions are fully capable of just keeping the ball out of Stafford's hands um, with the way they run it. Monty and Gibbs is, is just a phenomenal duo. Like I did not believe in the Lions before the season. I like their offensive line, but they're really good. They run the ball really well, and they're committed to running the ball. Monty and Gibbs is truly a phenomenal duo. They're both really, really good players. Um, I, I just don't see the Rams' answer to that offensive line and that run game. And I think ultimately when you reduce positions, possessions on Stafford, and I love Stafford. I love Stafford more than anybody. I think Stafford is an amazing quarterback. But when you reduce, reduce possessions on Stafford and just force the game for him to be aggressive and aggressive and aggressive, that's when he tends to get, make that one mistake that everybody always talks about with his career. And I think this is kind of one of those unfortunate situations where Krug nailed it. They're a one-phase team. Their offense is really good with him and McVay and Kyron Williams and Puka and Cooper Cup, but they're not that good on defense and they're not that good on special teams. And when you're going into Detroit, when it's going to be louder than it's ever been because they finally have a home playoff game, I think that's a tough matchup. And I think you hit on it right there as far as the the Lions will, and I've seen them a few times do this this year. They will play disciplined, complimentary football. Mm-hmm. So, and they're going to have to in this game, and they probably will. They'll probably limit the possessions, 
And I agree. And it, they're going to need to do that, but I think they are going to do that. And I'll, I'll, I agree. I like the Lions there. All right, let's go to Philly and Tampa. Philly may be handed the lucky card in that they may have matched up with the one team that they actually can handle in the Buccaneers. It won't be a hostile territory, but I mean, it's hard to pick the Eagles when they just got routed by the Giants, beaten at home by the Cardinals. Uh, Sirianni just looks like he's looking over his shoulder, waiting for the, waiting for the, uh, you know, the ax to fall on his head. Philly doesn't have much. They really don't. I mean, last year, 70 sacks this year, 43 sacks and their path. Jordan Davis woefully out of shape. Their D line's not the same. Now they're not even really stopping the run. AJ Brown's hurt. I mean, Philly was 10 and one. They finished one and five. Um, I don't know guys. I, I'm going to, uh, I could see Philly winning this game comfortably, but I could also see Tampa Bay routing them and sending them into the offseason um, with maybe Sirianni getting dumped a year after he won this after he went to the Super Bowl and won the conference. So I'm going to take the Bucks at home because I like their red zone defense. They have more momentum than the last two teams, the the the, the Eagles lost to. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles could circle the wagons and, and get this win. Um, I don't know who to root for on this one, but because um, I can't stand the Eagles, but I have a respect for how their three future Hall of Famers on the O line, and I don't want to see the Eagles kind of, you know, I don't want to see the Eagles next week. Why? Because that means they will have kind of gotten off the deck and picked themselves up and kind of dusted themselves off, and um, then they're going to have to be, have to be killed off again. I'm going to lean to Tampa, but with no conviction. Where are you guys on that one? I, I'm with Tampa as well. I just I can't see Philly turning turning it around. I, I really cannot. They've got way too many injuries at the wrong time of the season. It's in Tampa, and I I think that Tampa has some underrated players, and I I don't know how that Tampa with that passing game and those receivers is going to be very tough for that defense to stop. I, I just yeah. don't understand how how they can keep up point for point with Tampa, which is a weird thing to say, but without A.J. Brown, I just don't see it happening. And I agree with you. I think Sirianni is going to get fired. I, I think that this is his last season there. They're going to lose to Tampa. He's going to lose his job, and that's going to be the end of it. And I just, I, I don't trust Tampa at all. How can you trust, I mean, excuse me, uh, the Philly at all. How can you trust a team that lost to the Cardinals when they needed it and then started their starters against the Giants and were getting mopped by three scores before they took them out? There's no way I can trust that team. Tampa's going to win this game, I believe. Yeah, let's make it a clean sweep, three in a row. I'm going to go with Tampa as well. Um, I'm with Larry that, like, if you look at the matchups in the NFC, this is the one that you can kind of give yourself, like, okay, Philly could win this one if things do happen. Um, but I think Jesse kind of nailed it. I think their defense kind of matches up poorly with the Tampa Bay offense that's just incapable of rushing, running the football. Well, they don't need to run the football against Philly because Philly's got no chance at stopping their pass game. Really, the antidote to stopping Baker Mayfield in that pass game is putting pressure on Baker. And for all the Philadelphia talk of their secondary, their front seven has not dominated teams. And Tampa's offensive line is underratedly pretty good. And then you can run the football on Tampa Bay's defense. But Philly has not been a committed um, and identified themselves as a running football team, especially in the second half of this year. They had moments with DeAndre Swift at the beginning of this year. I don't think Swift is the greatest back, but they committed themselves to that identity. They have not done that in the second half of this year. 
I, I think that this is all rearing towards a very ugly end with Philly. I think when you look at, oh, them going back to training camp, Jesse nailed it with them losing to Arizona in a must-win game where Dallas was Dallas lost. And then them losing to the Giants in that second half, like trying to just get some good football going in the first half and not have any momentum and anything like that. It looks really ugly for Philadelphia. I think, I don't know that Tampa Bay is the greatest team, but at home, I think this matchup plays out pretty favorably for them. And it's kind of unfortunate because I would have loved to have the Niners be the one that hammer in this Philadelphia and end their season. And they might not even get that opportunity because Philadelphia might, uh, you know, bow out a round before that even comes true. You know, I, I kept touting uh, early in the year, man, the Eagles are not the same team. They lost both their coordinators, but I kind of was doing it wishful thinking, just like, hey, they lost both their coordinators. I really expected them to not be that much different. I thought, well, they'll replace their coordinators with suitable coordinators and they'll, they, you know, but I, I liked it as a talking point. I didn't dream that it would be the way it was. I mean, Sean Desai was a disaster. Patricia, not a whole lot better. Even worse. And and offensively, Shane Steichen, you know, Steichen, Gannon's been good in Arizona. Steichen was good in Indy. But I wanted to ask you guys this one observation. I think I heard it on NFL, the NFL show. Uh, Marcus Spears brought it up to Mina Kimes. And I wonder what how much you think this is a factor. He said that no team runs less motion, pre-snap motion, than the Eagles, and that they don't challenge you defensively mentally pre-snap and that that has a major that every even though Desai and Patricia and the defense is getting the blame that really they don't put a lot of pressure on you offensively pre-snap or or mentally uh you still got to defend their weapons and and hurts and that's a lot but that you know what they show you is kind of what you're going to get and you don't have to make adjustments as they're snapping the ball Vish, you love to get into the, the the X's and O's on football. I mean, what do you think? I mean, is it are we in a period now where you have to have a lot of – I mean, the Niners use a ton of pre-snap motions, a lot of shifts, a lot of motions, a lot of movement, trying to identify coverage. Um, and, and how much do you think that's a factor in Philly's slide offensively? So I, I actually disagree with that point, and I think there's a very, very deeper um, – uh, understanding of what Philly's got going on in offense. So if I remember correctly, they were low in terms of motion used with Steichen. Now they used more motion than they use now, but it wasn't like they were a heavy motion team um, with Steichen as well. And, and what I think of motion is that I think it's kind of become the buzzword in the statistic because it's popular amongst the Shanahan scheme and the Shanahan scheme is kind of what's relevant in the NFL right now. So motion has been an easy indicator where teams immediately go, if you use motion, you should have a good offense. I don't necessarily think that's the case. If you hear a guy like Peyton Manning talk about motion and what it does for an offense, he didn't necessarily prefer it because in these static looks, he was able to sit there and analyze and know what the defense is doing pre-snap and motion kind of changes that picture, right? Because when you turn a two-by-two two into a three-by-one, defenses play it slightly different than play the three-by-one versus how they play the two-by-two two slightly different. And so I think motion is beneficial if you have a reason for why you're doing it, if you have a why for why you're doing it, and you know why you're doing it as a team and have an understanding. The Shanahan guys, all of them, starting with Kyle, they have a why on why they motion on every single play, and I think that why makes sense. For Philadelphia, I don't know that it necessarily makes sense. I think the bigger issue is the lack of tie-in um, tie in their entire offense. 
it feels disjointed to me. Last year with Shane Steichen, and I think this was a great way for them to manage Hurts. One, it started with the run game. But then off of the run game, they had this incredible RPO game where, oh, if you overplayed their running and you overplayed this zone read action, they were able to flip it out to an open man. And they were able to take advantage of extra numbers in the box. And then when they got often single high coverage, which is what they got, they said, okay, when we're in single high, it doesn't matter whether you play zone or man. It's going to be man outside the numbers. The reads are very defined for a quarterback. He throws the ball deep extremely well, and we have a super freak in A.J. Brown and another freak in Devonta Smith that nobody's going to be able to cover in one-on-one coverage. So there was a tie-in to everything, and it started with their run game. This year, I found their offense, even when they were successful in 10-1, and to be highly analytical, where like a second down would always be a run, a first down would always be a pass, and it felt like, okay, they would be in the shotgun and they would have that quarterback draw play. It felt like situationally down by down, they were very analytical on what they called rather than them being a tie-in from first down to second down to third down and how they're attacking teams down the field. I think that's their bigger issue. I think their lack of an identity on offense. I think that last year, despite all the good things Jalen Hurts did, they had an identity starting with their run game that tied into everything that they did. I don't think that that exists. I think that's their bigger issue. I don't know that simply creating more pre-snap movement is going to help their offense, given that they were rather static, even in their most successful moments. Um, I think you need a why and a reason for why you're motioning. If you're not motioning, you can have an equally successful offense. You just need to have a tie-in with your run, pass game, and how you play call. And I think that's the bigger issue for Philadelphia. I, I have something that I think is causing Philly a lot of issues on offense, and it's not the motion either but it's them running out of shotgun with a running back side-by-side side with their quarterback. They run pistol slash under center with, with a uh, running back behind the quarterback by far the least amount in the league. And what that's going to do is it's going to tie down what you can do in the run game. When you have a running back by the side of the quarterback, you usually are running one direction. You're usually staying within the tackle. So you're taking away all counter runs. You're taking away all outside zone runs and you're limiting what your running back can do. And you become very predictable in a run game sense. And you're also taking away play action because nobody's fooled. Everybody can see exactly where the ball's going. There is no fooling anybody when you're faking a, a play action to the guy next to you. So I think that you've taken play action out of it. You've taken outside run or outside zones away from you. And you've taken the counter runs away by lining up in that, that fashion. And it's ruining their offense. Yeah, 100%. It's interesting. I think they're also becoming predictable in some of the things that they're doing. Um, and and it, I almost feel like they're losing confidence in the play caller because uh, you can kind of see it out there. And now the loss of A.J. Brown. Uh, that hurts them. A.J. Brown's out, right? I mean, there's no chance he's playing in this game. I, I don't like know he's if out, he's been ruled out, but I know he hasn't been practicing yet. And I, I, Larry, by the way, not to cut you off, but I do think that there's a quarterback element in all of this when you pay a guy $250 million. I, I think you're realizing the limitations of where he is right now as well. And I, I've never known where to stand on this Jalen Hurts situation because I was too low on him. You know, when he came out, I was too low on him after his first two years and his third year kind of shit on my face, for lack of a better term, in terms of him being (laughs) way better than I thought he could ever be. And then this fourth year has kind of come back to what I think he could be, but I don't know that it's necessarily all on him. But I do think that there's an element of, 
hey, they are limited in what they can do in the drop back element. There's a specific style that they discovered with Steichen that's kind of like a Seattle Russell Wilson style. And they're unable to find that when they're not running the football. And as you know, Jesse brought up and you brought up as well, the disjointedness in terms of their offense. Ooh, look at that change in setup. Look at that. Look at that. Um, okay. Today was a big day in football. Pete Carroll out, Nick Saban out, Bill Belichick out. Um, let's start with Belichick. The guy's got eight Super Bowl rings, and people before you correct me, no, 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 no. The two he's, the got, he's got six. He's got no, he's got eight. He's got eight. He's got eight Super Bowl rings. He was a great defensive coach with the New York Giants. Went to New England. He got six there, but they went four and thirteen this year, and they haven't been to the playoffs in five years. And so he's out, and Pete Carroll's out, which was kind of a surprise to me because. I thought John Schneider made the calls in Seattle and Pete hired John. And I just had a hard time ever seeing John chasing Pete out the door, but I don't think it was John. I think it was probably the owners who kind of put that on John and said, it's time for Pete to go. So Pete's out. Saban's out. Saban, no doubt the greatest college football coach of all time. Uh, I mean, you can make arguments for other guys. Um, you know, Jimmy Johnson was fantastic. Howard Schnellenberger was amazing. Uh, Tom Osborne, Barry Switzer. There are many others that you could get in that, in that, uh, Woody Hayes. If you want to go back, Bo Schembechler, there's a lot of great college coaches Whoa. for sure. A lot of great ones, but I think, <laughs> I think Pete's, I, you know, and Pete, not to mention Pete, but Nick Saban, uh, probably at the top of the top of the top of the heap when it comes to college coaches. But I guess I want to ask you about where you think these guys are going and are they going anywhere? I, I think Saban's done done in that he's just going to, you know, hang out with Fran Tarkenton on some lake in Alabama somewhere and drink beers and tell stories. Um, as far as Pete goes, I think Pete's probably done. He's going to stay on in Seattle as some kind of grandfatherly figure there. And I can see... The, I'm looking at the odds on the Seahawks next coach. They've got Dan Quinn as the one-to-one favorite right. with Vrabel being the second choice. And Bobby Slowick, believe it or not, who's going to be a hot name this offseason as the third choice. Um, And then there's Belichick. And, you know, I don't know where you guys, what you guys think of Belichick as far as where he's at. He was very much like a beaten man uh, in, in as far as the press conferences the last couple weeks, like he didn't sound even like himself. And, um, you know, I was doing a couple of interviews with national football guys in the last few weeks and they're saying, I'm asking them, you know, Belichick's out in new England. Most likely, where's he going next? Who's he going to be the head coach for? Is he going to be the general manager? Personally? I think that Belichick, the GM totally let down Belichick, the head coach. I think he Belichick can't pick players and he was never great at it, but he always had help. And then it was his show the last few years. And they just, they haven't had a guy who they drafted in the first three rounds stick around for a second contract since Deron Harmon. It's been years since they had somebody they drafted in the first three rounds, get a second contract. The odds as far as his next team are Falcons, commanders, Titans, Panthers at the top of the list. And I just, God, I mean, I guess people, you know, you, he could stick around and coach for the, you know, the, 
to try to beat Shula's win record. But the guys that I've talked to said, you know what? He's not going to coach and he's not going to be a GM. He's just going to be kind of like a veteran football consultant operations guy that he's burned out. And yet he say, says he wants a coach. What do you guys think? Where's he headed? I think he, he wants where to any coach. of those guys headed. Yeah. I, I think he wants to. I think Saban's done. I, I think Carroll's done. I think that Belichick, if given the opportunity, would love to coach. But I, to me, there's only two teams that really make sense for him. I think he needs to go somewhere where there's an established quarterback, established receivers, and some names on on defense that maybe that defense is underachieving a little bit. And I agree with you. I think that he shouldn't be the GM. And there are two teams that really fit the bill for being perfect for him. I think number one would be the Philadelphia Eagles. You've already got Roseman there. You've, you're have you going to fire, most likely, your head coach in Sirianni, especially if they lose to Tampa. It's almost a done deal. So then why not Bill Belichick? Like He would be the perfect guy. It's, it's a Northeast coach already. He's used to that weather. You know he's going to get the most out of that defense. One thing that has not faltered... New England, without arguably its two best defensive players this year, their defense was still very good. Yeah, so right. if anybody's in it, there's plenty of talent on the Eagles' defense, plenty of talent. He would be great. He would make that defense about as good as you can make it and then bring in somebody that he trusts to run the offense, and all of a sudden you've got a serious contender potentially again. And I think the other one is Dallas. Now, Dallas maybe makes less sense because I don't know about Belichick and Jerry Jones, how they would get along, but I'm sure that they've talked a ton at owners' meetings and what have you. So I don't know what that relationship is like, but that's the other perfect team. If he doesn't go to those teams, Washington doesn't make any sense. Washington needs to get a young quarterback. They'd probably need to get an offensive mind to pair with that young quarterback. Justin Herbert needs an offensive-minded coach. I don't think that Bill Belichick makes any sense. I mean, him and Tepper would be a disaster. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that makes any sense. I just, if he doesn't go to either of those two teams, and it might not be likely, I would say Philly number one, Dallas number two. Other than that, I don't think he coaches. Yeah, I first of all, I, I'm pretty sad. Like, there's an element of it. I know you guys are a tad bit older than me, and I like reminding you that you're, you know, just a tad bit older than me. Just a tad bit, me. yeah. We, tad we bit were freshmen. I was, I was a senior when you were a freshman. Jesse was a junior. No, okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it, there, there's, there's an element of holy cow in my lifetime. Like Saban is the quintessential, like the college coach that's kind of synonymous with the game. And Belichick, that scowl on his face, wearing that stupid hoodie in gray or navy blue for the New England Patriots that somehow they couldn't even get a new one. It's almost like it's been sitting in his closet for two years before he even wore it the first time. Like that was like synonymous with football for me. And so seeing those two guys go and then Carol, who objectively in my entire lifetime between USC and Seattle has been a great coach, right? When he was failing with the Jets and stuff, I wasn't necessarily alive. And, you know, I've been told stories that he was excellent as a defensive coordinator of the 49ers. And so like those are three like just phenomenal coaches in my lifetime that I look at as some of the greatest coaches. They're now like gone. And it's like weird to think about, like they're no longer coaching where I tie them to. So that's an element of it. I'm with both of you on Saban being done. Like, I don't necessarily think he was as forced to walk away as Carol or Belichick. I think that was purely, I'm a, I'm done 
with this, and that was a decision that he was able to make for himself. I mean, Carroll clearly didn't sound done, but it sounded like Seattle was done with Carroll, and they seem to still want him around in some capacity. We'll see how that works out with his energy. I do think if they hire a Dan Quinn, all of a sudden it makes it easier for him to continue right? Because he has a relationship with Dan Quinn. That was a guy he hired from Florida and all of that when Gus Bradley left. So there's an element to that. And then finally with um, Belichick, I'm, I'm kind of sad about this entire situation because I think he deserved another year in New England. I think it's, you know, unceremonious for him to walk away this way. And I'm with Jesse. I don't know that there's a fit for him other than if you put a veteran team that's ready to win. I still think he's a great coach. You know, without Judon, without Gonzalez this year, they had an unbelievable defense. The guy turned Jabril Peppers into one of the best safeties in the sport, like out of nowhere. And and he's still an unbelievable coach. But I, I just think what happened with Mac Jones, the way they developed Mac Jones, the lack of weapons on that offense, the lack of their ability to accumulate talent. I think when they lost Skarnecchia, we've seen two instances of them losing Skarnecchia and that offensive line dropping from being like, above average to just being bad. The first one was, I think, 2015. They didn't have Skarnecchia. He retired for a year, and Brady got beaten up in Denver by Von Miller and company. And then this last couple of years, without Skarnecchia, it's not been the same offense. I think a lot has gotten away from him. Um, the GM stuff, you guys nailed it. I mean, how many picks has he missed on um, as the GM of the Patriots? And they accumulate picks. He trades down in every draft, and every draft he's missing on every player he's trading down on, and he's missing on the picks he's accumulating by trading down on these players. I, I just feel like he's in a situation with the way he does things for him to be able to implement that at a new organization at 71, it just does not make sense. Um, I'm 100% with you, Krug, when you say he's either equipped for a consultant role or with Jesse if somehow he becomes Parcells late in his career and goes to Dallas and has this ongoing public battle that we all enjoy observing with Jerry. Or if he goes to Philadelphia and says, okay, let me fix that situation. But I don't even look at Jalen as his kind of quarterback. So I don't know. I have two spots for Belichick, and they're both freaking wild. All right. But first, let me get through these super chats and we'll jump back into that. Uh, see how I tease that? One, yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily love how you tease that. I wanted to hear which spots you had. One Neri says 49ers fans go vote for Brock Purdy and McCaffrey for the FedEx Air and Ground Players of the Year. Go Niners. Also, Larry, will Brock be having a press conference tomorrow? No, he will not. He will not be having a press conference tomorrow. Uh, not enough sauce says start a franchise with Belichick or Carroll. Oh, wow. Who would you go uh, with? I'd go with Carroll. Carroll's way more enthusiastic. And when you're starting a franchise, I mean, are you talking about in their prime or are you talking about right the second? I'm, I think he's talking about right now with them. At right 70 and yeah, I'm going yeah. Carroll. I'm going Carroll. I think he would be, uh, you know, you, you got to have enthusiasm to start a franchise. You got a lot of. You know, so I'd go with Pete. I don't, what do you guys think? I'll go with <laughs> yeah. Pete as well. Yeah, I'll go yeah. with Pete as well. It's I just not, think I mean, the it's way like George Allen does things. I I just think with the way Belichick does things, it's not something that you can implement and start now at seventy-two or seventy-one. I think he's so particular on everything on how an organization does things, and I think that attention to detail is what made him so successful t- for twenty-four years. 
but I don't think it's that something you can simply start over. Whereas I think Carroll is equipped to take that positivity and take that entire, I call it a shtick, but he really lives up to the shtick because he's a hundred percent positive chewing that stupid juicy fruit gum all the time. But, but I think he's capable of taking that and going elsewhere. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. But then the flip side is, gosh, he's made some horrible decisions when it comes to coordinators too. It's like, I don't, I, I wouldn't want either one of them at this point, unless you are an established team. Like I said, Phil, him and Philly and him and Dallas just make way too much sense. And when I say him, I mean Belichick. Ready, set, rush says Packers are 4-0 versus Dallas in the playoffs. Dallas 13-0 at home. I don't, is, are Packers 4-0 against Dallas? I don't think so. I feel like they lost a couple years ago. I don't think so. I, I think I can remember they, Dallas beating the Packers in the 90s. Yeah. It might be 4-0. Um, it might be 4-0 against Dallas don't. at home. I might I I could have swore I read that Dallas in uh, Green Bay played a slew of playoff games more he says, than four. He says in Dallas, Packers are four and zero in Dallas at home. He posted another comment. Oh, he did. Dallas. Okay, yeah, in Dallas. Yeah, yeah, well, that that's possible. Um, Randall, Randall, have not missed your stuff. I'm seeing it. He says Monty and Gibbs smashing the Lambs back to L.A., knocking them out of the playoffs. That will be the headline. Mm. Yeah. Good backfield combination, no question. And Smack Jones underscore 919 says, shout out to the big show for keeping me entertained with the Niner news. Just wel welcomed my firstborn today. Oh, my God. Nice. Healthy and mom is doing great. Way to go, Smack. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, Smack. Uh, not near as cool watching us, but I remember my youngest, or excuse me, my oldest, so my firstborn, was born on a Thursday. Thursday night football, mom slept in the hospital bed and I held my son wearing his 49ers gear, first 49ers gear, watching the 49ers beat the Seattle Seahawks on Thursday night football. So it didn't get much better than that. Sorry, we are not quite as good as watching the 49ers win, but hopefully we're filling in very nicely for you. Smack, you know me, man. I don't like to tell people how to live or what to do. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I used to work with the great Gary Radnich, whose famous line was, how you feel is how you feel. Um, but I will say this, and I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Turn off your computer, turn off your phone, put it away, go do something baby related. You don't want to go think of the day your kid was born and then be like, and then I remember Vish said he didn't like the secondary <laughs> of the of the Browns against you. It's not it's not a story that's going to age well. You know what I mean? You're you're going to get stank eye from your bride. Uh, you know it's like one of Krug then said no no it's not going to age well. You, you know you just I don't know if you got a knit or if you got to go watch baby specials or go buy the diaper genie or something. Go do something right now. Turn this show off. And don't have this as your lasting memory of the <laughs> of the day your firstborn was was uh, coming into the world. And then Jesse said, "I agree with you, Krug. You're going to tell that story, and your wife's going to slap you, uh, and your in laws are going to hate you, and everybody's going to be like, you have no perspective." I'm just joking, Smack. Do what you want, but uh, you know what I'm saying. Congrats though to Smack. Shout yeah, out to seriously. him, and hopefully his baby is born in the year that the Niners. You know, accomplish. Yeah, that'd be something. big. That's the, the only other thing I'll say is, you know what? My daughter was born yesterday. <clears throat> I mean, it seems like yesterday, <laughs> and she's 22 years old, 
and in grad school, um, all I would say is it goes by fast. My, my brother Krug, Krug went yeah. straight cats in a cradle on us. He goes first goes smack. He's like, he's talking about like, you know, you don't spend time with your kid. Now he's talking about how fast time grows. Krug, you Dude, seriously. On us? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to, no, I'm not going to cry. No, but it does. It goes by fast. People always say that the days are long, but the years are short. Um, change as many diapers as you can. And if there's any marital advice I could give you, it's one phrase. How does it go? Oh, there, here it is. You're right, honey. Uh, well, and, and I will also say this, you're not a parent until you get pooped or peed on. So that'll be right. the, uh, initiation to being a parent. So get ready for wow. that. That one. And no, no, you don't look fat in that, you know, um, that's the other one. Uh, uh, that's all. after that you're on your own. All right, JH says, any chance the Eagles go after Belichick? Well, you know what, Jesse just kind of outlined a, uh, an Eagle idea. Let's get back to Belichick for just a second. Um, okay, I got two ideas for Belichick, and they're both bad, but I kind of could see them both coming true. Mark Davis just hired Dave Ziegler and, and uh, Josh McDaniels. Why? Because he wanted a little bit of that New England magic. But then those guys bombed out because McDaniel sucks and 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 the GM Ziegler is only marginally better. Um, the Raiders are talking to Tom Telesco about being the GM, which would be a great hire because I think Telesco was wrongfully fired with Brandon Staley with the Chargers. I, there's been an awful lot of talk. The Raiders are going to either go with Jim Harbaugh or I think the sentimental Antonio choice Pierce. is to re bring back Antonio Pierce. I think what you do, what the Raiders are going to do is they're going to go give the bag to Belichick and they're going to let Antonio Pierce be the defensive coordinator under Bill Belichick while Belichick's really the defensive coordinator. So I, I'm not saying that Antonio Pierce is a, is a stooge and he's just there for nothing. I just think he's young and I think they like him. I think they want to keep him. I think they'll figure out a way to keep him and have Belichick kind of be the czar of defense as the head coach, I think Belichick is going to wind up with the Raiders. I really do. Because all the talk about Harbaugh, Harbaugh's smarter than that. He's not going to – he has the experience with the Raiders organization, but I think Harbaugh's like – you know, he came to the Niners. Why did he come to the Niners? Because he saw that Singletary had a ton of talent and didn't know how to coach. He's going to go to the Chargers because of the same reason. He sees the Chargers have a ton of talent, and Brandon Staley – didn't know doesn't know how to coach so he's going to ride in there with herbert and all that talent i mean telesco even drafted well this last year for the most part outside of the tcu wide receiver the rest of that draft was nails i think the chargers are absolutely ready to win and they need what belichick has that discipline that structure that focus and i think if they get telesco let bill just coach i think the raiders could have a resurgence under Telesco and Belichick in the desert. What do you guys think of that one? Go ahead, Vish. Yeah, that that's an interesting one to me. Um, the first, the culture fit, right? They didn't seem to like the Josh McDaniels culture, which he seemed to take from Bill. So I don't know how that would necessarily work. From strictly a football standpoint, I kind of do understand where you're coming from, Larry. Like, I think it kind of does fit the Belichick vibe. They've got a dominant defensive player in Max Crosby and a defense that kind of did play pretty well 
through the back half of the season under Antonio Pierce. And it could work with Bill Belichick. And then they have an offensive line that's pretty decent. Colton Miller is really good. Maybe they bring Jacobs back. They bring Adams back. Like it does fit the Patriots vibe. They get they. Well, I don't know what quarterback they would go get. Maybe they get Kirk Cousins with Belichick and Tom Telesco and try to do an entire thing. But I, I don't know that it necessarily fixes or um, alleviates any of the issues that the Raiders had with McDaniels. I think, or it just gives them a better version of McDaniels. I, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from, from a football standpoint. And I kind of could see that happening simply because the Raiders have no other direction to go for a big name. And I don't necessarily know where Belichick's best option is here. Um, I do think the Harbaugh element of the Raiders is part of like that being his dream job, right? No two. He was coaching, um, under whomever I was coaching. was it, was it still, uh, who, who replaced John Gruden in, uh, Oakland, the offensive coordinator, Bill Callahan, Bill Callahan. Um, I think he was, he, his first job was quality control in O2 for Bill Callahan under the Raiders. Um, so I think that there's like that connection for him. And I think that job has sentimental value, but I'm, I agree with you crew. I think Harbaugh is a shrewd harp operator in the sense that he go he, he turns around places, but he goes to places where there's things in place to be turned around. And I think the Raiders are in this limbo spot in the NFL where they're not necessarily capable of being turned around and they're capable of competing, but they're only capable of competing to a maximum capacity that I don't look at them as a Super Bowl level team, just the way their roster is structured and their salary is structured. I, it's it's a weird spot to be in. I could see Belichick that just being like, hey, we need a big name. Belichick has nowhere else to go. Let's marry that. But I don't know if it necessarily makes sense. I, I hope that Harbaugh doesn't go to the Raiders. Harbaugh to Philly would be fun too. If he wants to stay out of the AFC and away from his brother, potentially. That one could get interesting. And then, you know, you've you've got two teams that are kind of in that same area. And then you the parents can live somewhere in between type of situation, make it a family right. family oh. venture. Oh, look at uh, that. So I don't know. Deck too. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I but to me, I think the Chargers are probably where he ends up. But Bill Belichick going to the Raiders, man, I just again I, to me, I, I don't know why Bill would do that. There's just nothing in place for him to really win with immediately. Time's running out. If he wants to break this record, he's going to have to do it over the next two seasons. And I just, I don't think that that's the direction that the Raiders should go. I don't think it's a direction that that he should go. I think that would be bad for both organizations. But I could also see it happening because that's what the Raiders do. They make dumb decisions on a regular basis. So who knows? Do you if think? Wait, I'll oh, go ahead. If you guys don't mind, I got a question for the two of you, because this is where I kind of struggle with the Belichick conversation, right? I think Belichick is evidently an all-time great coach, and I don't know that he necessarily should have even, quote-unquote, mutually parted ways. I still think New England's the best fit for him and all of that. Where I have trouble with the entire Belichick conversation is at 71 for a guy that's so rigid and so particular on different details and how they're supposed to be. I cannot imagine him going to a new organization and implementing that quick enough in order to be able to break the Shula record. And that's like the part of the Belichick conversation that confuses me because I could see a team throwing the bag at hiring him, but I feel like Belichick is so particular on being controlling of every element of this operation. And he did it for so long, so well. It, it, it's kind of hard for me to reimagine now at 72, he's going to go back 
and build this operation and do it the way he wanted to again. And it's kind of hard for me to imagine, like, who you suggested, Tom Telesco. Like, I have a hard time convincing myself that Belichick is going to be there and be like, okay, Tom Telesco, you can draft the players. It doesn't matter how bad the record is. Like, that eight Super Bowls that you mentioned, and now Tom Telesco, Tom Telesco, who just got fired by the Chargers, (laughs) is going to tell Belichick who to draft. Like, that's the part of this that's hard for me. What do you think of that? I, I, you know, I'm not, I, first of all, we don't really know Bill Belichick, right? Uh-huh. Because he doesn't really give us anything. So the way we don't know Bill Belichick, he, the one thing about Bill Belichick, he knows NFL history. And I don't know, man. I just don't know what he wants. I don't think he wants this record that everybody thinks he wants. Unless you guys know, has he stated he wants to pass Shula? I don't think so. I think he wants to, I think he loves to coach defensive backs. He loves to coach defense. I don't think he likes talking to the media. I don't think he likes drafting. I don't think he likes doing anything except for hardcore defensive game planning. And which one of you said their defense was good this year? Uh, Their defense was good this year. He hasn't lost a, he hasn't lost a fastball. He has not. He just doesn't want to, he can't draft. He can't pick players. All right. This next idea, I I tweeted this today and I got crushed. My 14 year old came in and said, dad, that was awful. (laughs) And I I said to him, I said to him, you know what? You don't know ball the way I know ball. And, and I kind of pulled rank on my 14 year old. Um, So, but your fourteen-year-old was right. If if this is the take that I'm thinking of, yeah, this is the take you're. You I didn't see your of. Twitter today, so I'm about to okay. go right there. I'm going to read you my tweet. Okay, this is my tweet from earlier this morning. I said, if the 49ers somehow fall short of their ultimate goal of winning the Super Bowl, I would pursue Bill Belichick as the defensive coordinator and see if he could bring a Josh Ushi or a Kyle Duggar with him in free agency. It sounds crazy. But Bill's downfall is that he's a marginal GM and a poor CEO. He's an elite defensive coordinator, maybe the best all-time evaluator and coordinator of DB talent. Bring him to San Francisco. Let him be the head coach of the defense. Coach up the Niners' young DBs, of which they have about six. Find maybe one or two more in the draft. I think he would go for that. That would be a great pivot. Kyle and Bill together would win multiple rings. Okay, before you say no, before and I know, and come on, this, this <laughs> is cra- this goes, is totally crazy. No. I, I get it, 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 I get it. Why would a guy who's got eight rings be a defensive coordinator? I get it. Okay, but you got to remember how old of a man we're talking about here. I think Bill Belichick's like seventy-three years old. He's one of the oldest guys coaching in the league. There is precedent for old greats taking lesser roles in new spots. I'll give you three examples. Sid Gilman, way before my time, way before your time. One of the great coaches in the league's history. Heck, one of the fathers of the forward pass. Head coach of the Rams in the 50s. Head coach of the Chargers in the 60s in the AFL. This guy was the Eagles quarterback coach in 1981 when he's coaching Ron Jaworski and I think Coach Steve Young with the LA Express in the USFL. Why? Because he still had knowledge to impart, but he didn't want to be the head coach, but he didn't want to sit on the couch. 
That's number one. Bill Walsh, example two. Three Super Bowl rings in the 80s with the 49ers. Then he coached Stanford. I mean, Stanford as the head coach. And then he came back as the Niners, not the president or the GM. He was the vice president and a consultant for the 49ers. Example three, I just bumped into him in the buffet line on Christmas night. The best GM in the last 20 years may be Ozzie Newsome. He's not on the couch. He's not the GM, but he's not on the couch. He works as a consultant in the Ravens front office. Eric DaCosta is the GM. Eric DaCosta picks the players, but Ozzie Newsom's a consultant. The 49ers used to have guys like Bill McPherson and older coaches sitting around. They, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have tremendous respect for Bill Belichick. He has tremendous respect for them. If the Niners lose in these playoffs, especially if they lose before they get to the Super Bowl, they're going to need to pivot to something. And Steve Wilkes may be out the door. He's interviewing with a couple different teams in the next few weeks. If they lose Wilkes, they don't really have an internal candidate. So they're either going to start new and try to bring in another coordinator and make them adjust to their scheme. Why not? Why not the hoodie? And and just let them just let them develop Jair Brown and Talanoa Fonga and Luter and Lenore and Womack and all these young corners and DBs that the Niners have. Um, and and coach up the defense. He can still do it. You put Kyle as the head coach of the offense, Belichick as the head coach of the defense. The money is there. The Niners, there's so much money in the NFL. The Niners could pay him almost head coach money for a year or two to be their defensive coordinator. They, if they don't win the Super Bowl this year, man, they're going to be hell bent to win it next year. And they're probably going to be looking, Kyle's not going to be looking for an offensive coordinator because he's the offensive coordinator. So, you know, no matter what happens, if the Niners fall short, he will blame the defense. He will look at the defense as the problem. And here's the hoodie sitting right there. I know it sounds crazy, but Sid Gilman, Bill Walsh, Ozzie Newsome, you know, nobody thought those guys were taking a backseat to anybody either and did. This guy's not 58. This guy's not 65. This guy's 73 or whatever. I don't know that he's going to be the head coach. Jason Lockin Ford told me that he'd be shocked if he coached or was the GM, that he thinks he's kind of like a defensive consultant czar of defense. Maybe the Niners make Bullocks the defensive coordinator and bring in the hoodie as some kind of defensive consultant and pay him a lot. But Kyle loves him, John loves him, and he loves them. What do you guys think? Well, the defensive consultant element, not to interrupt you, Jesse, no, I, I think that that one could make sense. Because here's here's Krug. I think that consultant idea with Ozzie Newsom and Bill Walsh, I think that argument falls way short because it's they're almost taking a step back and doing the job in a full-time capacity, but their knowledge and expertise is still being relied upon by those organizations. I think that's where that consultant rule comes in. I think if Ozzie Newsom still wanted to be part of the grind that it required to be the Baltimore Ravens GM, he would still be the GM of that football team. But I think that's where he's kind of stepped away because it is difficult to do those jobs. I mean, Larry, you're you, you're fucking lazy. Like you know, you know lazy, the hours. Larry. You know the hours that it takes more. You than only anybody. got in here at seven a.m. It's only eight p.m. and you're already leaving. Right, right. You know the hours that it takes more than everybody. It, it's a toll on your body. So I, I think that that element of it makes sense for Belichick that he could be a consultant. But I also. 
think that there's an element of this to Shanahan is he's visualized and he's philosophically visualized how he wants this football team to look. And I don't think it's as simple as, oh, they're going to hire a defensive coordinator and he's going to completely secede control to that defensive coordinator. As the head coach of the football team, he takes ownership of every aspect of this football team. And he takes pride in taking that ownership um, of every aspect of that football team. And I, I think that he wants this defense to look a certain way. I, they've drafted two personnel because he's identified what they're looking for schematically at every spot. I, I think that he would tend to stick. I mean, the Vic Fangio argument came up this offseason. That's a little different conversation, but I think he would tend to stick and find somebody that's going to run this scheme that they have developed. And it's kind of become the Shanahan scheme, right? Because it started as this Seattle three defense with Robert Sala, they added the wide nine element to it, which is the Shanahan idea. And now they have their own way of running this defense, which is kind of Shanahan scheme. Um, and so when you encompass all of that, for me, it just, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Like there's mutual respect. And I think, you know, in my 19 year old head, when Seth Wickersham was writing great articles about how Jimmy Garoppolo was Bill Belichick's like best friend and his favorite quarterback and all of that, I was like, Tom Brady's going to ruin this. Bill's going to come to the Niners. He's going to be Kyle's DC. Everybody's going to sing Kumbaya, as Charles Barkley calls it. And the Niners are going to win Super Bowl after Super Bowl. Like, I, I kind of get it, but I don't know that the personalities here would entirely mix. I don't know if it necessarily makes sense. And I, I think Kyle also has, and I don't know if it's an ego, but I think Kyle has an element of ownership that he takes in every aspect of this football team. Um, I think it would be very easy for him to hire his dad, for example, in, in a larger capacity. But when he's asked about his father, for example, he's constantly like, well, my dad loves football. He loves being around it. Of course, I take his advice, but I do the day to day work. And I've seen media members say like, oh, no, it is Mike Shanahan's football team. And so Kyle takes a lot of ownership in it. And I don't think he would cede control to an aging Belichick. Yeah, I, I think the consultant thing certainly could make sense. I mean, remember, Fangio was doing this not long ago for the 49ers and the Eagles. And when it came to hiring Fangio, he was like, no, because you want to control the whole thing. And that's not the way that this works over here. So you can go to Miami. And I also think that there is a bit of an ego play. I think that Shanahan respects the hell out of Bill Belichick. I also think he enjoyed beating the hell out of Bill Belichick. And the last thing he wants is to win a Super Bowl can't get over the hump, can't get over the hump, can't get over the hump. And then, oh, you finally get over the hump when Bill's here. How convenient. Was he the driving force? He'll never hear the end of it. So, no, I just don't see it from a coaching aspect working. All right. So, I, I'll, I'll leave it there. As far as let's, let's, let's jump to the other point of that, which is assume the 49ers fall short. What's the pivot? Because you guys know. There's going to be, especially if they fall short because they lose to the Ravens or a really hot Bills team with Josh Allen playing great in the Super Bowl. There's still going to be a lot of criticism and a lot of a lot of upset people. But you know, if Lamar is awesome and the Ravens are awesome, or if Josh Allen gets on some ridiculous scald and uh, Buffalo rides the thing out, I, I you know there people will eventually be like, well, you know, Josh Allen was the, is was going to win rings. We knew it was going to happen. It just was a matter of when. But what if the Niners lose in the NFC playoffs, there is going to be a tremendous avalanche of criticism directed at Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, but probably mostly Kyle Shanahan. What's the pivot? 
the Niners lose in the NFC playoffs, what's the pivot? Because you got games next year. Kyle ain't going to retire. Um, the, the roster's getting older. Trent may retire. Armstead may retire. What's the Niners' pivot move, pivot play, if they lose in the NFC playoffs? I don't know how you pivot from that. I mean, that's why they get paid. That, that's this. This is the year, Larry. This is the year because I've talked about it a million times. But certainly, maybe not next year, but in two years, most of these guys are going to be gone. Most of these really good players are likely not going to be on this team. I I I would be shocked if Armstead, CMC. Kittle, Trent Williams, these types of Hargrave, these guys are going to be on the roster to start the 2025 season. So it's really this year and next year. And next year, you look at the teams across the NFL, Green Bay is a team, Lions are a team. You're starting to see paths where they can improve a ton. You know, Seattle has a decent roster, and if they get the right coach, if Philly gets the right coach, if uh, the Rams have $40 million to spend in all their draft picks, if, if Cooper Cup and those guys stick around, there's a path for them. The NFL is down, especially the NFC this year in particular. The NFC is way down. And I don't think it's going to stay that way for very long. The NFL moves very quickly. The 49ers are clearly the best team. So especially if they lose before they get to the Super Bowl, that's an absolute disaster. I don't know how they pivot from that. That's going to be extremely tough. If they lose in the Super Bowl, it would be disappointing. But like you said, you can see, you know, all right, we can deal with it. We can get over this. But a loss before then would be an absolute disaster. Your guess is as good as mine. Maybe, Vish, you have some good ideas here. But I just I think that's worst case scenario. Yeah, It's funny. You and I talked about this on the phone like three or four days ago. And Larry brings it up as a question. I, I don't know what would happen at that point. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like. You know, in other years, the pivot has been so obvious. It's been so easy. Well, we've been talking about this Jimmy G issue for so long. Every time they lose in the playoffs, it's like replace the quarterback. And we talk about it for an entire offseason. I don't feel that way about Brock Purdy. Like, I don't know if you're going to come away from a playoffs and say replace Brock Purdy in any capacity. He's played way too well throughout the entirety of the season. He's way too young and he's way too cheap. So that's not going to be where we're going to look at. Um, I think the, I think all three of us look at Shanahan and view Shanahan in a highlight. I maybe view him higher than both of you. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I probably view him at a higher light than more people just because I'm such a big fan of his, but I think that replacing him isn't the answer. I, I wouldn't know what they would do to pivot. I think that it feels like this is their real opportunity. And, you know, Krug, you bring up a question that I haven't necessarily thought of enough to give you an answer, but I do think that we would be asking that question, right? Like what's going to change about this team if they don't accomplish it this year. And I, I, I genuinely today, when I think of that question, feel at a loss for words, because I think that when you look at the landscape of the league, and then you look at this team, I, I don't know that a lot can change for things to happen. You would just expect them to run it back, but how many times can you truly keep running it back? There's so many questions that start to arise at that point. Um, it, It's a very interesting thought. I don't know that they have a pivot, but they better have one because um, if they don't, it's like that means their window is probably closed around them. Um, So that means I don't know if their pivot's a big free agent or some kind of trade up in the draft or some some significant addition. Didn't they do that this year, though? 
Like their big pivot was getting Javon Hargrave and free agent. It feels like all these things that we could mention, they've already done. Getting Chase Young, getting Christian McCaffrey, getting Javon Hargrave. No, I know. Andy I know. It's it's it, you know, if anybody has an idea, I'm all ears. I don't know what the pivot is. I really don't. I was asking you guys is kind of like, uh, we'll see. <laughs> I think it's gonna be cow. it's gonna be it. You know the defense will get blamed, and you know they'll probably move on from Wilkes, and it would probably be some in the form of some high profile defensive coordinator. That's what I maybe you it's plot twist. Maybe it's uh what's that? Go ahead. Plot twist, Bill Belichick's the head coach and Tom Brady comes out of retirement and saves the oh, 49. God. No, I'm just I'm oh, totally God. joking. I'm totally, <laughs> totally joking. Totally joking. You know, <laughs> right. but you know, but that's you as know good as it we, gets for me. I don't we know. Do, if we do get to that point, you know there's gonna be like whack conversation like that. And it's gonna be simply because nobody's gonna have an answer. Because genuinely, I look at this situation and I'm like Man, every year if you ask me this question when the Niners in the playoffs, the pivot was so easy. Number 10 place quarterback, get rid of number 10. Go get somebody else. Like I would have I said that over and over again. It was easy for all of us to say. You can't say that now about this. I'll, team. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the real the real answer would be yes. This team just simply isn't good enough as it's built. And you've got Shanahan under contract for many years. You've got Brock Purdy, who you believe is your franchise quarterback. Now's the time. Do it a year early than a year late. Blow it up. Get rid of those players that are not going to be back there by 2025. Get some pieces for them. Replace them with young, fresh legs and try to make a run in another year or two. Like that's that's the real like answer. Rebuild, try to yeah. Yeah. Because keeping keeping guys around that that are now a year older that haven't been good enough to deliver it. If you're not getting rid of Shanahan and you're not getting rid of Purdy, which neither are going to happen, then why not rebuild on the fly, retool on the fly? You've still got some very young players that are good on the defense. So between that and Purdy, you're going to stay afloat. You'll still be a, maybe a playoff team. Kind of do what the Rams are doing, where the Rams are like, hey, we're in the playoffs. Maybe we win one, but ultimately that's the ceiling. But next year, because we've gotten rid of the, the Ramseys and some of these other guys, now we've got $40 million to play with and a full bevy of draft picks. Next year, we're going to be great again, and it's going to be with a new cast of characters. That's probably the real answer. I don't know that they would have the balls to do it or if York would be fine with that approach, but that's, that's probably the way that they should go because the older players on this team are on the offensive side of the ball. So maybe clean house with a few of those guys, get some picks while you can, move on from them, and uh, try to retool. It's going to be a very interesting offseason if the Niners get it done. It's going to be a very interesting offseason if they fall short. Yeah. Um, so you know what that means. It's going to be a very interesting offseason. Um, <laughs> okay. A couple, quarter, couple uh, coaching things. Clint Kubiak, rumored to be headed to the Bears. Brian Greasy, also uh, thought to be maybe on the Bears list for offensive coordinator. The Niners could easily stand in front of Greasy departing. They don't have an offensive coordinator. If they want to keep Greasy, they just name him the offensive coordinator in name. We know Shanahan's the the offensive coordinator de facto. Um, so if they want to keep Greasy, they just give him the title and nothing changes. They could block him. And then Steve Wilkes is rumored to be going to Atlanta, and I'm sure there'll be a couple other teams that want to introduce or want to interview Steve Wilkes. Who's the coach, if you could say, you know what? One guy, I don't want him to go. Who's that guy? Ooh. 
I, I think this is the other part of it. We'll see who ends up going. But if the 49ers, these two really tie together because if they don't get it done and now all of a sudden your coaching staff and your front office is getting plucked left and right, you lose all these guys that are interviewing. Now you're really, you're trying to rebuild the front office. It's, I don't know, it's, it's tough. That being said, uh, the one guy, the one guy, the one guy, the one guy I, I would I, prefer. I, not to interrupt Jesse, but I also probably should group Adam Peters in there because Adam Peters is yeah. considered the front runner to jump to the commanders. A lot of speculation that Bob Myers and him, both UCLA guys, both Bay Area sons, uh, that they may be trying to get together to rebuild the iconic uh, commanders uh you know, brand and get a new stadium there in Maryland and get out of FedEx field and kind of take uh, the commanders back to their glory days with Jack Kent cook and Joe Gibbs, Bobby Bethard, maybe is, is Peter's the guy you don't want to leave. Yeah. I mean, the way that I see it is the guy losing guys on offense, you got Shanahan. That's what he's here for. So I'm not really worried about losing any of the offensive guys. When I look at Peter's, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things out there, a lot of rumors as far as who he's picking, who he's not, but I can't quantify what he does on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'm sure it's important. I'm sure some of those great picks have been his, but maybe some of the bad ones have been his too. I just don't know what the role is. So for me, I'm going to go with Wilkes. You know, Wilkes didn't only come in and replace what was already here and a great defensive coordinator who's now a great head coach in year one and D'Amico Ryans, but... I think he arguably made the defense better. And I already think that the 49ers were scraping the bottom of the barrel when it came to options last year. Not that they didn't have good options. Obviously, Fangio would have been a great option, but we know why that didn't work. And Wilkes was a fantastic option. But then who? Who else is out there that you can really bring in if you lose Wilkes? Yeah, you can hire within, but why didn't you do that last year if you were confident in those guys? So not that they can't overcome any of them, but if I have to choose, I'm going to go with Wilkes because I can quantify what he does and what he's done so far. Really, the biggest thing has developed this secondary. This is the best development of the secondary that I've seen from the 49ers since probably the 90s. It's been incredible what he's done with that secondary, in my opinion. Wow. Uh, no luck for no love for uh, Vic Fangio. And uh, I'm blanking on the secondary coach, famous secondary coach, the guy who uh, was his defensive coordinator um, in Denver. Um, I don't think that I don't think the, the secondary Sorrell Brown oh. in them. I don't think that secondary was there was holes all over that secondary, in my opinion. And I, I think that they've done a great job this year with Wilkes. Some Ed Donatel, Ed Donatel, was Ed Donatel. Yeah defensive back coach i'm with you though i'm with you though. i just i wanted to remember it down until well, <laughs> made that point um but for me the one coach they can't lose obviously i mean i i would say shanahan like obviously yeah. and then like if we're looking at strictly offense i'd probably say somebody like bobby turner or chris forrester i've heard you know the coach our good mutual friend all three of us um talk about bobby turner's impact this is a guy that two years ago they ran you know they told him hey bobby take a year off and then four weeks into the season they're like bobby come back come fix her run game um they brought him out of retirement i think like there's a lot of value to these veteran coaches that are comfortable being position coaches but are really phenomenal at what they do and seem to stand by shanahan regardless of the turmoil or turnover in his staff elsewhere. And I think similarly with defense, that guy's Kasarik. 
Um, ultimately, if if I'm answering Larry's question, I'll probably come down to Wilkes for the same reasons as you, Jesse. I think you laid them out perfectly. And the other element to Wilkes that I was really impressed by was just the way he handled himself during that three-game losing streak. I, I mean, Larry, you were asking the questions at the time. They put him out like a pig for slaughter a little bit during that three-game losing streak. He felt like a martyr for the cause. Like, hey, everybody blame him. Him having to publicly apologize for that cover zero call late in the Minnesota game, like four days after it happened was a bizarre thing that happened in the 49ers regular season that will go under the radar, but just the way he handled himself throughout all of that, I think speaks to that. He wouldn't be an easy guy to replace. He's clearly a human being of high character. Um, And so I would probably pick Wilkes of the coaches. I'm with Jesse on the Peters point. I've been a very skeptical. I've been very skeptical of what Peters necessarily brings to this operation. I know he's media savvy. I know he's more media savvy than Martin Mayhew and Rand Carthon were because I never saw Matt Barrows and Matt Mayoko write about how great Martin Mayhew was and Washington hired him as their GM. I never saw Matt Barrows and Matt Mayoko write about how great Rand Carthon was. And that was who Tennessee hired as their GM. But I've seen them write repeatedly about how great Adam Peters is. Barrows does that one interview with um, Adam Peters after the draft where they go through every picks. The only pick we know that's truly an Adam Peters pick that's associated with him is John Lynch coming out and saying Ambry Ambry Thomas, excuse me, not Ambry Peters. Ambry Thomas was his selection. That's the only one we can associate with him. For me, this used to be kind of a discredit of Peters, but now Ambry has played fairly decent this year. So it's almost like, okay, he picked somebody that starts for the football team. Like it's a decent pick. Um, so there's not a lot to be able to tell with what he does. The thing that um, makes me interested in the entire Adam Peters situation is they could have very easily promoted him the moment they quote unquote promoted John Lynch earlier this year. They chose not to do that, which makes me think that uh, as good as he might be at what he does, he does play a role that they feel like they can replace. And um, that's where I, I don't know that he would necessarily be a massive loss because there's nothing about this team that's his vision. It's all Shanahan's vision, and Shanahan's going to stay on. Um, so long story short, I, I don't necessarily know that it's a big deal if they lose any of the guys you mentioned, Krug, but I, I'm with Jesse's answer of Steve Wilkes being the guy when I look at this staff and you say, okay, Bobby Turner, Forrester, Kosarek, they're not going anywhere. Well, okay, that leaves Wilkes for me as the guy. Like, okay, they can't lose him. I would say you know, maybe Kosarek. Yeah, I was in it. Well, yeah, I mean – well, yes, uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Do you expect him to go elsewhere, though? I feel like Kasarik, yeah. Forrester, and Bobby Turner are kind of stuck as position. Yeah. and very happy with that role on this staff. Chris, Chris Kasarik, if he was in a leave, I think last year would have been the year. He basically was given the option to be a, a coordinator, a de facto defensive coordinator, get paid like one, right. handle the defensive line with the Texans, where I think he has family or he's lived in the past or lives in the offseason. And he easily could have gone there and, and done that, but he chose not to and been very comfortable under D'Amico Ryans. Mm-hmm. I don't think he really cares to have that title. I don't think that's what he wants. So, yes, I would say that. And and I will say maybe losing any of the guys by themselves is not a big loss, but I do think losing all of them at the same time could be a big loss, if that, if that makes any sense. Because Sarek, I think, is just so key to their culture. Uh, but I think Peters could be a key guy as well. Of the guys who were rumored to leave, he would be the guy that I would make the biggest effort to retain. Um, but I don't think Kasarik wants to be a defensive coordinator. I think he's just happy being a D-line coach. All right, we haven't hit this one. Who do you most want? Who do you least want? 
in the first round. So forget the predictions of who's going to win. Who's the team that you want in that first round for the Niners? Who's the team that you want to avoid in that first round for the Niners from a competitive standpoint? Oh, give me Philly. Yeah. Give me Philly. Give me Philly. However you can make that happen, give me Philly or Tampa. I'm fine with either one of them. And I'd probably at least want to play the Rams from a standpoint of of there if there's a team that might be able to make it tough because there's familiarity there and what have you, the offense is humming, maybe the Rams can give you the toughest shot. But even then, I, I don't I just don't see anybody even getting within two scores of the 49ers in the NFC. I really think the NFC is that weak. I do. Yeah, I I don't know that there's a least team that I don't want to see. Like I genuinely believe when I look at seeds four through seven, which are the 40 all of the 49ers possible matchups, they steamroll on their best game, every single one of them. Like, I don't think it's competitive necessarily. And I I don't mean that to discredit those teams. I just think that that's the state of the NFC, as Jesse mentioned. Who do I most want to see, though? Um, Just because Jesse said Philly, I'll say the Rams. Um, I, I think the Niners are way better than the Rams. I think this idea that they should somehow fear the Rams is because the Rams are better than everybody thought. And they're the one team coming into this playoffs with a truly excellent veteran quarterback, which I think is advantageous. I don't think it's advantageous in terms of beating the 49ers. It might be advantageous for them to go into Detroit. Might be advantageous maybe for them to play Dallas if they had to in the second round. Might be advantageous if they had to play anybody else. When it comes to the 49ers matchup, like I don't think that's enough of an advantage for them to have success. So uh, I'll just because Jesse said the Eagles, I'll say I want to see the Rams. I don't want to see Green Bay because I just get the feeling that loves in a in a in an all time hot streak right now, and they're so. Can I young. ask you a question, Larry? Yeah, this should end this pretty quick because I think I know how you're going to answer it. Who would you rather have, Purdy or Love? I'd rather have Purdy. Okay, so then why do is this you, even you, a question? Yeah, do you think Green well, Bay's because, defense has because, any chance against the Niners' offense? Because I think that Green Bay, the Niners have one problem that I see that they're they're not gonna beat they're not gonna be beaten by teams that they get up for they're gonna get beat by a team that they didn't get up for and if they get uh green bay i don't know that they're gonna get up for green bay and green bay's got a lot of offensive weapons and a hot young quarterback and maybe most importantly they got a really talented young in their prime defensive line and I, to me, Green Bay looks like a team that's getting better every single time I see them. They're getting better as the year goes on. Some teams are limping towards the finish line, like Philly. I think uh, Philly's the team I do want because I think the Niners will not take them lightly. They'll they would their season ended at the hands of the Eagles in Philly last year. They would love nothing better than to end Philly's year at Levi's this year. So the Niners will get up for the Eagles. So that's the team I kind of want, even though I'd take Tampa too. But um, I, I think they want. I think Philly would be better because they won't. They won't take it easy um, in, on Philly. They won't relax in the Philly game. Green Bay is the kind of team where I think Dallas is not going to take them. Uh, I think Dallas may take them lightly, and I think they're going to rue the day they did. And I, I think Green Bay's rolling, and that that D line scares the hell out of me. Devontae Wyatt is really good. And um, that kid Brooks is good. I mean, and they, they're getting sacks out of different guys. They're getting plays out. Of, they got all kinds of different weapons. 
I got a quarterback who's feeling it. I, their defense, I agree with you, Joe Barry. I don't, you know, that defense is kind of hit and miss, and they struggled with some bad teams. But their D line's real, and their weapons are real, and that quarterback's confidence is is absolutely soaring. So I don't want Green Bay. I don't want the Rams. I'll choose Green Bay over the Rams because they're more of a complete football team. I don't want. I I want Philly or Tampa. But I'll take Philly over Tampa because I know the Niners will get up for it. Here, here's my thing with with the points you made about Green Bay because I I'm with you on uh, Niners being up for Philly or Tampa. Like I think they would steamroll both of those teams. One, I think Green Bay is a big enough playoff brand that when you play Green Bay in the playoffs, you're going to be up for it just because it's the Green Bay Packers and there's going to be a hype behind it. It's like playing Dallas a little bit in the playoffs and regardless of how good they are. I think the Niners would be up for that because you're playing a historic brand. I think that's very different from playing Detroit, for example, in the playoffs, which is maybe a team that they could sleep on. And then the other thing to green Bay is I kind of see your points with green Bay, but we're talking about a historically young green Bay Packers offense and a team that under Matt LaFleur has historically struggled going to the West coast. And you're not going to tell me that they're going to win a road playoff game in Dallas, go back home to Green Bay and then travel, you know, make it's not a fun trip from the Midwest to the East Coast. I'll tell you that, Krug, I'm, I'm very quite familiar with that trip. And you're going to tell me they're going to come into Santa Clara and the Levi's and with that young team take down the 49ers. I, I, I don't necessarily track that. I, and it's it's I, I get the points you're making about Green Bay. But to me, when I look at the entirety of the football team, I think it's daunting to ask that young of a team with that young of a quarterback to go on the road, beat Dallas in Dallas, go home, and then go to San Francisco and beat the or Santa Clara and beat the 49ers. That's I I just look at it and I say that the 49ers clearly have the better roster. And as much as you've hyped up love. You said that you think Purdy's better, so I just said <laughs> that should end it, right? Like that should. If you said, yeah, you know what? I, I obviously they're both young quarterbacks. I like them a lot, but man, Love's hot, and and right now I would take Love. Okay, I could see that, but you think the 49ers have the clear better roster, and now you think they have the better quarterback? Like, what's the path to victory? I, I just don't see it. The only thing about the Packers, they're the fourth youngest team to make the playoffs since the merger. Their average age is 25.6. Right. I, I just, they're sitting there in Green Bay. I don't know. Uh, there's so no pressure. You're with me? You're with me? That I young just, team coming into Santa Clara doesn't make sense? I no, Well, they're young, but there's something to be said for so young, you don't realize it. You don't realize what you're not supposed to do. And I don't love Jordan Love, but 18 touchdowns and one pick in his last eight games tells you that he's hot. He's not just a good young quarterback. He's a hot quarterback. I like Purdy better, but there's no doubt that Love's hotter. Um, so I think Love might be one of the hottest quarterbacks going. All right, I, a couple, couple more agree. things here. Yeah, oh, I go, agree ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you to an element. I also think Love has been hot. I mean, the Kansas City team, that game, that was a good defense, but then they played the Giants, the Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Vikings, and the Bears. And I've been quite impressed with Jordan Love has been doing what he's been doing this season, so it's not a discredit of that, but it's a different animal, I think, going up against the Niners defense at home versus playing those teams um, in, a, in a streak. I think it, there's a level of football that's a little bit above where Green Bay is right now because they're so young. Do you guys like love more than Purdy? <laughs> I, th right now, the way that I see it is you've got three 
young quarterbacks that are going to try to be mainstays in the top 10 over the next few years. And I'll be curious to see which one, if any, can do it. And those three players are Stroud, Purdy, and Love. Um, I I can't say that I like Love more than Purdy right now. I haven't watched Love enough. I would take Stroud over Purdy and Love, obviously, in that scenario. But um, I don't know, man. All three of these guys are young and and they're trying to make a name for themselves. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see which one of these guys can establish themselves. Yeah, box score scouting and all of that, for me, it's Purdy uh, right now. But I have not yeah. watched Jordan Love snaps the way I've watched Purdy. So it's not but, a very But I fair also, answer. here's what I would say. Even if I did think that Love was better than Purdy, I don't think it's such it's such a big difference to where it's like, oh my gosh, if you love and Purdy, like it's just an uneven, unfair matchup. I, I wouldn't see it that way. I mean, I think that you're talking about two young players and, and we'll see where it goes, but... I can't say that love is better than Purdy. I, I can't say that right now. There's no, I couldn't say that. Biggest concern for the Niners going into the playoffs. Biggest concern. And there are more than a couple. Here's mine. What happens if they fall behind? They, they're a weird team in that they've been, they got all these guys who have been there before, but there's, they, they come across guys to me and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm hypercritical here. But they come across to me as just really, really fragile as a team. The Niners have had a halftime lead in 11 of 12 victories and were tied in the other one. They've trailed entering the third quarter three times. They lost all three games. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how Purdy's going to respond. I don't worry about him as much. I really don't know how Jake Moody's going to respond. And maybe the biggest question is, how's Kyle, Kyle Shanahan going to respond? How's this offensive line? Purdy's the best play-action passer. I think among these quarterbacks in a lot of ways, but what if you don't have play action? What if you're trailing to me? I, I'm kind of concerned that if the Niners don't get the right trip, that I don't know that they can win every way. I, I don't know that they can win from behind. Usually by now, by mid January, you know, especially with a team that's won double digits, they've won coming from behind. I don't know that they can do it. That's my biggest concern. What if the game doesn't play according to their script that they're comfortable with? Can they win anyway? That's my concern. Yeah. What, I, do you, what are your guys' concerns? I'm 100% with you. Like, that would be my number one concern, like, not going to the game script. Um, but since you took that answer and explained it really well, I'll go in a different direction. That would be my primary concern. But, like, a secondary concern that builds off of that is what happens if a team is committed to running the football against the 49ers. I think in that three-game losing streak, Cleveland showed something. Minnesota showed something. Cincinnati showed something. Baltimore kind of alluded to it, where if you can get yourself to be committed and not give up on the run against the 49ers, you can have a chance against this defense. And I think when Eric Armstead doesn't play, this defense is definitely capitalizable, if that even is a word, but you can capitalize on this defense and their run defense. I think they miss Armstead because of his ability to just F up run plays by taking on double teams and being so strong at the point of attack. He's, he's a stud. Um, and I think with him being somewhat compromised and, you know, you look at, you know, the Rams, for example, they can run it really well with Kyron Williams. You look at Detroit, for example, with Monty and Gibbs, they can really run the football well. Dallas, not so much. I think if a team can be fully committed for four quarters to run the football against the 49ers, it then oftentimes has brought up the game script that you're talking about, Krug. And, and then that game script is ultimately, I think, their primary fear. 
So I, I agree with you, but I'll just build off of it and say, hey, what happens if a team really commits themselves and no matter what happens, no matter of result, they get those 30 runs off against the 49ers. Go ahead, Jesse. Uh, two things scare me. Having a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter scares me. And <laughs> that one's more that one's more of a joke. But the one that actually does scare me is elite quarterback play. I mean, we, we talked about Brock Purdy and Love. And when I see it, it's like, hey, I can't say that Love's better. I haven't watched him enough, so I'm not going to go out on that limb. But there are players, there are quarterbacks that are clearly better than Brock Purdy, or I would take in a heartbeat over Brock Purdy. And most of them reside in the AFC. So elite quarterback play scares me because elite quarterbacks win Super Bowls. That's the way that it usually works. And when you have an elite quarterback and you can take the 49ers defense and say, we don't care who you have on defense. Our quarterback's going to dictate how the day goes. That can make it very, very hard. And so now you're putting a situation out there where it might have to be Brock versus this elite quarterback. And then you're going to have to see them go head to head. And, and I don't like the 49ers chances in a scenario like that. All right. Um, last topic here. Ooh, last topic. Um, we only, we only do two hours these days. The three yeah. hours is just, for, uh, it's the uh, worst slouching, man. Come on. Let's, you know, make it easy on ourselves. <laughs> we could, we could, we could come up with one or two more, but we, this is most likely the last topic. Okay. okay. Quarterback rankings. Right, we'll take it easy this week. We'll have a bye week. Quarterback rankings. Jesse and I were talking about this before you jumped on, before we started the stream. I guess Grant did this earlier this week. Um, where, how do you rank these guys? I mean, there's, there's uh, 14 quarterbacks, seven in each conference. Um, where does Purdy rank in this thing? I um, mean, talk about elite quarterbacks. I, I mean, this is how I have them ranked. Okay. Hold on, hold on. I want to make sure we have a clear stipulation on this. This is okay. just for the playoffs. This is not who you All would take to start or... a franchise or what the for the playoffs. Who do you want for this playoff run to run your team? Who do you trust the most? Some of past experience is going to come into play. Some quarterbacks don't have any experience, but have a lot of talent. Like, what do you value more? I think this is an interesting conversation. Has nothing to do with what they're getting paid. Has nothing to do with their age. And are they going to run your franchise in three years from now? Right now, for one playoff run, who are you taking? <laughs> Cosmos' last topic for Krug means three more. Right. <laughs> Possible. All right. All right. I hear I see you working out there, Cosmo. <laughs> All right. I'm going Mahomes number one, just lifetime achievement. I'm going Josh Allen number two. I am going Stafford number three, which some people would criticize that, but guy's got a ring. He's got a still playing at a very high level. And I don't think you can fool him. I don't think you can blitz him or make him look bad or give him any pre-snap look. He's going to be flustered. So I'm going to go Mahomes, Allen, Stafford, one, two, three. I'm going Lamar, number four, MVP. And the way he played, the one thing about Lamar that's scary is that he's not afraid of anybody. He doesn't care if Nick Bosa's coming off the edge. He's not worried about Dre Greenlaw hitting him. He's just not. He's like, bring it. You know, so that, and you could see it in this game. There's a swagger about Lamar. Okay, so those are one, two, three, four. I'm going Purdy, number five. I'm going Stroud, number six. I'm going Love, number seven, partially because he's so hot right now. I'm going Jalen Hurts, number eight. 
Prescott I, nine. I heard that, Jesse. I heard it. Prescott nine. Golf ten. Uh, Flacco eleven. Baker twelve. Baker twelve. <laughs> um, I'm going two a thirteen. And I'm going Rudolph dead last because there's no doubt Rudolph stinks. Yeah. Okay. Though he has won three Ooh. in a row. Yeah. Ooh. So that's, that's I didn't think. Oh, man, I didn't think through fourteen. That's that's crazy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna have to get past 14, it. Fourteen is tough. Um. Yeah. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Mahomes yeah, go one. Allen mm-hmm. two. Lamar oh, wait, three. Wait, wait, wait. Let me go. Let me go. Vicious numbers here. Mm-hmm. Mahomes one. Okay. Allen, Allen two. two. Lamar three. Stafford four. CJ Stroud five. I'll go Dak six. Purdy seven. Love eight. Nine, I'll go. It is Hertz left. Who's six? Who'd you have six? Uh Dak. Okay. And then I'll go Purdy seven. Purdy seven. Love eight. Um, who else is left? I got Dak Go- left. Yeah, Golf Bur- Mayfield and Hertz. All right, you I'll go Tua, uh Flacco and uh Rudolph. I'll go Hertz nine. I'll go. It's golf, golf, Mayfield, Tua, and Rudolph. Golf ten, I guess. Flacco eleven, Mayfield twelve, Tua thirteen, <laughs> Rudolph fourteen. I don't know what to do with those guys. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. <laughs> Wait, Mayfield is what thirteen? Yeah. No, 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 no. Mayfield. Well, Sure. Tua 13, uh, Rudolph 14. I'll just be consistent with my uh, Tua hate. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. So, wow. All right. I, I'm i going to be similar to Larry. I, I did I did this on my show the other day. So my, st- my top five is going to stay the same. It's going to be Mahomes one. Josh Allen, I think, is the second best quarterback in the world, but I'm actually going to go Stafford too for the playoff run because I've seen him get it done. And again, veteran, not going to be confused. I agree with all that. So Stafford two, Allen three, Lamar four, Purdy five, because he has experience over guys like Love and Stroud. I'm going to go Flacco six because he's a completely different animal when it comes to the playoffs. He's playing with house money. And he's got that veteran leadership. It's won a Super Bowl. I'm going to go Stroud 7. Dak 8. Love 9. Hurts 10. Goff 11. And then we'll go with... uh, Yeah, Baker 2 and Baker. Tua, Baker, yeah. then Rudolph. Ru- Rudolph is the easiest one to place. Him. Yeah, he's the easy he's one. So he's evidently easy. Well, him and Mahomes, like the bookends right, are easy. Right. Yeah, we got I, that. It's filling in the rest. It, yeah. It's funny. It's funny to me because I see the conversation immediately in the chat go to like, oh my God, you put Dak over Purdy. Right? I knew that. Dak of course, that was going to happen. Dak yeah, is yeah, yeah. this. But you yeah. look at Dak's best playoff performance, right? His first performance as a rookie against Green Bay. He was terrific. They lost that football game. Last they year played against Tampa head, Bay. That's why. Right. Year. Last year, last year against Tampa Bay, he was unbelievable in that game before he came to the 49ers and did not play well in that game. But he was unbelievable against Tampa Bay in that game at home. It, it's a funny situation where we start rating quarterbacks on their ability to win these playoff games. But it's like 
is Jimmy Garoppolo better than a lot of these quarterbacks in the playoffs? Is he better than an Aaron Rodgers because he wore one more playoff NFC playoff games in recency than Aaron Rodgers? It, it, it's not necessarily that. I, I think the thing with Dak is I don't know that he's necessarily been as bad as people want to say in his playoff losses. I'm not saying he's been good. But the games he's played extremely well in the playoffs, for whatever reason, we have not credited that to him. Whereas, like, you look at an Allen, like Allen Krug, you brought up his playoff stats really being good. That's on the back of one playoff run where he was outstanding against New England. He was outstanding against Kansas City, and they lost with 13 seconds left to Kansas City, one of the most infamous losses. If you look at the rest of his playoff contributions and stats, he's been a little bit up and down in the playoffs. And it's it's funny to me that with Dak, for whatever reason, we don't take his two outlier excellent playoff performances and say much more. And somebody's saying, oh, I called Brock another Nick Mullins at last year after the preseason. I think I called him Colt McCoy, <laughs> not Nick Mullins. So that Uh-oh. was that. This is uh, Bazzi Mian. He's crushing you. Yeah, uh, okay. well, I, I called him Colt McCoy. At least give me some credit. I didn't go Nick Mullins. I called for, him for perspective <laughs> on this thing, and I don't know how you guys feel about QBR. It's an ESPN stat. Number one QBR ranking quarterback this year, Brock Purdy, 72.8. Number two, Dak Prescott, mm-hmm. 72.6. Number three, Josh Allen, 69.3. Number four, Lamar, 65.1. Number five, Justin Herbert, 64.3. So if you're Rah Rod Purdy and, you know, his, his, uh, QBR and Dax QBR, the all-encompassing QBR. I don't know how how much credence you put into QBR. Um, they're very close. I mean, it's razor thin, razor thin. Okay, I said it was the last one. I got I got one or two more. Oh, there we go. There, my guy. <laughs> there we go. Cosmo, Cosmo was spot on, man. Yeah, he Cosmo, said when he said one. Left. There's three. God damn you, Cosmo. You know me so well. Uh, <laughs> hit a couple more. Hit a couple more of these. Uh, eight oh eight niner says I pr- new member or member for eight months I should say I pray he doesn't go to Seattle because whenever he goes he's gonna bring McDaniel's with him McDaniel's is awful as a head coach but he's a top coordinator he of course is Belichick he's talking about Belichick there and Daza drops this one Packers also have a bad defense that was from our conversation earlier mm-hmm. all right here's a situational football thing fourth and four. For the 49ers at the 35 yard line in a tie game early third quarter. What do you do? You go for it or you trot Jake Moody out there for what's a four, uh, 40, uh, 35 yard line means your 52 yard field goal. 52 yard field goal for Jake Moody. Or go for it on fourth and four. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. I trust I trust this offense. I trust the play calling. I trust Brock a hell of a lot more than I trust Jake Moody at this point. I'm definitely going for it. I, I'm going for it, but that's not even a criticism of Jake Moody. It's because at that point in with this offense, that's completely the right decision to go for it. I mean, who's stopping them from getting four yards? Here's the other question about Jake Moody. You get into the divisional round. He misses two field goals again, or he misses one field goal in a PAT again, like he did in week 18. You're Kyle Shanahan. What do you do? 
I, I go sign Billy Cundiff and keep him on my active roster as part of the 53 and then have Jake Moody kick while Billy Cundiff is inactive for games. I don't know if you guys remember what I'm referencing, but that's what the Niners did in 2012 with David Akers. And that was the Billy Cundiff who the year before blew it for Baltimore in New England by missing like a 30 yard field goal <laughs> and pulling it wide. Um, I, I think that at this point, they're fully committed to the Jake Moody experience. They understood what they were getting involved in when they invested a third round pick in the guy. Um, they have no other choice but this year to ride it out with what they invested in. This was a decision they made at the beginning of the offseason, and that's pretty much where they're at. They got to go through this season hoping that he's already a veteran as a kicker and he's able to go through this playoffs relatively unscathed and play how you know Brock Purdy played last year as a young player in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I would say if you missed a field goal on an extra point, then like you did I, last I do, week, I, I do, I do what Dallas kind of did towards the tail end of last year with Mar, where it's like we're just gonna go for it, like we don't have any right. trust in Mar you, so we're just gonna keep going for, for it. Yeah, so, yeah, that's what I'm saying, they, and they just kept going for it. So you know, that's probably the route that I take as well. <laughs> Maybe Wishnowski kicks it. Oh, Wouldn't that no, be ironic as hell that. if that jump-started Kyle into kind of the the 2024 thinking of how to manage a game out of need? Like he can't he can't go for the field goal. So he starts kick, being super aggressive. He starts being super aggressive and it works. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that would be really fascinating to see. Cause like you could, I mean, the Niners offense being fairly conservative with that decision-making, imagine if they gave themselves four downs with how dominant they've been this year. Shoot. And the very last question, and I do mean the very last question. Tomorrow, you wake up and somebody bequeaths you an NFL franchise. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. You're now Mark Davis with a better haircut. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> you hit you hit uh, PF Chang's, and you if hire... I own an NFL franchise, am I going to PF Chang's? <laughs> You're Mark Davis. I just I come on. I'm Mark going Davis. to Pig in a Pickle, man. <laughs> you hit P, well, no, you're, it's a P and, uh, Pig in a Pickle's local. You're you're you know you're looking for someplace national. So you hit, you're like Mark Davis. You hit PF Chang's. Somebody bequeaths you an NFL team tomorrow. Every coach, college and pro is available. Every general manager, college and pro is available. Who's your who's your team? Who's your head coach? Who's your general manager? Who are you going with? Jesse's thinking. So Who do you believe I got, I got no, I got oh, it. I got who it. Do you believe He's, in? All right, go ahead, Jesse. I'm going Roseman and and uh and Reed. I'll go. Kyle Shanahan and whoever he wants as the GM. There we go. You go Kyle that? Shanahan first. I'll go Kyle Shanahan first. The same and, way the Niners and, did it. And Ro wait, Roseman and who, Jesse? Roseman and Reed. Andy Reed. Roseman and Andy Reed. If he wants John Lynch, that's cool. I mean, some might suggest Vish Kumarin as his GM. Uh, if he wants that, that's also okay. If he wants Larry Kruger, I mean, the guy clock comes in at 7 a.m., clocks out at 8, so that would be a little bit of an issue with the team I'm bequeathing, according to Larry. Um, but I'll take Shanahan, and we'll, we'll be in discussion on the GM, especially if he comes to me with Larry Kruger. I mean, 7 to 8, 
7 to 8, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m.? Are you even putting in the hours, Krug? Seriously. You're fucking lazy, boy. <laughs> um, I'm going Sean McVay and Eric DaCosta. Ooh. Okay. I Sean like that. McVay, Eric DaCosta. And I'm not going like Trent Bulky. <laughs> I'm not going Trent Bulky, I'll tell you that. And who's who's your who's your quarterback, but it can't be Mahomes to make it interesting, I guess. Oh, Josh Allen. Yeah. It's Brock Purdy, right? It's gotta be Brock Purdy. No, 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 come on. I, if you don't want if you don't want tomatoes thrown at you, it's gotta be Brock Purdy. So no, I love Brock, Brock Purdy. I love Brock Purdy. But I, I gotta go with Josh Allen. There's yeah, like Josh, Josh Allen is is awesome, man. He's awesome. Now I know he turns it over and he gets impatient, and there's some highs and lows you gotta live with. You're still talking about a guy who's 6'6", 235, 240, runs well, not afraid of the rush, difference-making arm. As I said, he's only 4-4 four four in the playoffs, but go look at those numbers closely. He actually has pretty good numbers in the playoffs. Cosmos is Tannehill. Uh, <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll, give, you, I'll give you a there. GM, too. I'll, I'll give you a GM, a little, little outside of the park uh GM. I'll go with Will McClay, the guy who picks Dallas. the Cowboys. Yeah. Mm. With Shanahan. I wouldn't even know. I, what I he just looks think like Dallas has in. been I know what he looks like. I looked him up before we had this conversation. Don't worry. Don't worry. I know what Will McClay looks like. Excuse if I me, see Will, Will McClay. If I see Will, I'll be like, Will, come here. You're gonna be my GM. I just bequeathed an NFL franchise. You and Kyle, come here. Yeah. But I genuinely, I will say with all of the turmoil Dallas goes through, the one consistent for me is that they draft extremely well. When you look at, you know, some of the talent they've, they've um, unearthed within their roster, it all goes to the drafting. They say Will McClay is kind of the mastermind behind their drafting. Maybe it is Jerry. Maybe Jerry's just a real football guy and he just gets it and he just picks these guys. I don't know, but I, I don't want to give Jerry that much credit. So I'll go with Will McClay to pair with my Kyle Shanahan decision and so now you've got your head coach your dream head coach your dream general manager and we'll add one last wrinkle Ooh, you just also for cosmo you also own the first pick in the draft oh what are you doing but with i have josh pick? allen right well yeah, no, josh allen. <laughs> no you take away no you just have your head coach and your general manager back to that equation and now you have the first pick in the draft and you don't you don't have let's just say you don't have anybody on your team because you can't well I've loaded there. No, no, no. You got the first pick in the draft. So it's like who do you believe most in in the draft? Who you know, who's your coach? Who's your GM? We got that. Now you get the first pick overall. You taking Caleb Williams, you taking Drake May, you taking the LSU kid, Jaden Daniels, taking Brock Bowers, taking Marvin Harrison. The the right the right I thing to do is to take a quarterback, but I don't do any scouting on quarterbacks until March. Vish knows this. He yeah. for two months he tried to talk to me about quarterbacks. I'm like, Vish, I haven't watched him. Vish, I'm not gonna watch him. Vish, no, I'm no, not no, doing two it months, this year. One month because it, it yeah. takes me past but, February to start watching. But yeah. the, the point is, is that I didn't. I, I told you I wasn't gonna do it, and then finally you talked me into it, and so I was yeah. like, all right, Stroud's my guy, and so we went back and forth last year on it whether Stroud should be my guy or not. So I. I haven't yeah. done it yet this year, so I'm not going to say a quarterback because I don't know which one. But the player that is the best is Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, you've got the pedigree. He's been that in college. I trust him, so I would probably just go with Marvin Harrison Jr. 
Yeah. Um, that's a good call. I, 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 I'm not like that deep into this draft. I have like TV watch. Well, and this is Jan- January 11th. But, I mean, you know, but on January 11th, for me, if I'm starting a franchise, all of that, I, I want to build around a quarterback. So whomever is viewed as the top of the draft, and to me, my naked eye, it Caleb. looks like Caleb Williams for sure. Still, I, I felt like the way the stock was after the Oklahoma season and then the second year winning the Heisman in USC, there was like no chance for him to like grow the stock this year. So he would be the pick. Jesse's laughing his butt off. Um, but Cal- I, I will Calvin, say Calvin had the right answer. Calvin's answer is right. It's going to, it's takes trade, over all of trade, us. Trade the pick to Carolina for three number ones. <laughs> That's brilliant. That is brilliant. Um, nice, I, I nice. will go with that. But if we're talking receivers, like I know Marvin Harrison Jr. is like insane. I don't know, dude. I, Malik Neighbors looks ridiculous to me too. And Roma Dunze, you know, Krug, I got a comp for you for Roma Dunze. I don't love this comp because he's a little smoother than this guy, but he reminds me of Michael Floyd coming out of Notre Dame. Big guy, super polished. Floyd a little more physical at the top of his routes than the Dunze. Uh, probably liked, you know, the family-friendly 21-plus drinks a little more than the Dunze seemed to, too, coming out of college. But but there's one for you, Krug. So I don't I don't know that receiver necessarily makes sense at that point because there's three guys that I look at, and I, I haven't studied them, but they look special just off of TV for sure. I think this is going to be a really hard top of the draft. I really do, to handicap. I think Jesse going with Marvin Harrison is pretty – pretty safe that's pretty safe i i for me i don't i don't believe in the guys at the top of the draft so i i i would probably lean towards you know i i i, I probably would go to like a tackle Ooh. but i like jc latham and i think he's more of a right tackle than a left tackle so maybe i would go with the penn state tackle olu fashanu um but I don't. I wouldn't feel good about it. I'd want to trade. I'm not a Roma Dunze fan. Ooh. I'd probably be choosing between Olu Fashanu, Malik Neighbors, and Marvin Harrison. Jr. Why? Why don't we like Roma Dunze? This is interesting. I, I haven't studied I, Roma Dunze. This is just pure TV watching. It looks like a I just stud don't like me. him. I mean, I, I saw him in the national championship game. I don't. I, I. I don't see. I don't see greatness there. And then also the history of Pac-12 wide receivers. Everything favors the receiver yeah, in the pack. Pettis is good in space. Sean Dawkins. Yeah. I mean, there's only a few guys. Michael I mean, Wilson this year was a guy that looked super polished coming out of Stanford. Mike Williams when he was coming out of SC and just, there's all kinds of guys. Only like Sean, I mean, Chad, Johnson oh, Dwayne Jarrett, good. you're going there, huh? Dwayne Jarrett. Yeah. I mean, they got all kinds of guys, all kinds of Mike Williams. Williams. going way, 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 Mike way, Williams. Back. We had to go there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't believe in Roma Dunze. In fact, I don't like either of the Washington receivers. Um, maybe Joe Alt. I don't know, but he might, he looks a little awfully McGlinchey ish to me. But, but you um, like neighbors. You like neighbors. I love neighbors. neighbors. I love neighbors. If, like today, if I had to make that pick, I'd go with neighbors. I'd go with neighbors over Harrison. I like neighbors. The LSU kid. Not the biggest, though. Not the biggest. Uh, well, but he did I, have 14 I, I wanna, touchdowns. I, I, I'm changing my pick. I want a high character collegiate athlete. I'm going to go with Bo Nix. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 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 <laughs> Well done. I, I need well a, done. I need a guy to build up the organization. I need a true adult <laughs> in the room. 
I'm going with <laughs> JJ <perfect>. McCarthy <laughs> oh. <laughs> from Lagrange, Illinois. Grew up not too far from me. Really? That's on yeah. south. That's on the south. Uh, you know, by Payless Hills. Yeah. I know my Chicago a, suburbs. He's, he's just a kid from LaGrange, Krug. He's just a kid from LaGrange. He's nobody else. He's he probably McCarthy, buddies with Jimmy LaGrange. G. Probably They probably hung out at a, a bar in Oak Lawn somewhere. <laughs> you like you know your Chicago suburbs. Look at that. Look at that. I, I know my... Maybe we'll go um, meet a buddy of mine. He's uh, he's staying in Arlington Heights. Ooh, there we go. Ooh, there we with, go. Where the new Bear Stadium might be. Okay. I'm pricing. Uh, I'm pricing a home in Plainfield. Ooh, Plainfield. <laughs> there we go. Look at now. Now you're just showing off. I can go all day. I can go all you day. You can go all this. day. Okay. Okay. I, I know okay. my Chicago suburbs. All right, guys. <laughs> when are you guys uh, streaming next on your various channels? What do you got cooking Ooh. on the Vish Kumar and Extravaganza? Oh, wait a second. We. Oh, I never threw that one. Out. Um, go ahead, Vish. When when do you stream next? Do you stream on Fridays? Uh, no, no, no chance. No chance. Come on. No chance. On Friday, Friday. Friday. No, no chance. chance. No chance. But Sunday, the coach and I will recap the wild card weekend um, and kind of have an upcoming preview. Because um, at that point, if it becomes clear who the 49ers are playing, have that conversation. Mondays, I'll be back with Rob Stats Guerrero doing under review. Tuesdays, Krug, you and I were texting during this week. I couldn't do this week, but you and I could do a show on Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday um, maybe I may, I'm going to try to do a little bit more football uh, throughout the year, throughout between now and the Super Bowl because you can never do too much football uh, coming up. So maybe a, maybe a Tuesday nighter. Yeah, perhaps Wednesday. I'm not sure, and then Thursday we'll be back on last second sports to preview who the Niners are playing. The big show, you know how we do it, crew. So that's what <laughs> I got upcoming and planned. What do you got, Jesse? Yeah, I actually don't have anything planned until Tuesday, but likely I'll I'll put out some sort of reaction to who the 49ers are playing, or maybe I'll just stream once I know who they're playing, because that's going to be a talking point, right? This It's tough. It's tough having... This is the first time in the few years that I've done this where you have a lull in the season, and essentially Washington was a game nobody cared about. The Rams were a game yeah. nobody cared about. Yeah. Then we get a bye... So you've got almost a month of nothing from 49ers content, which is an interesting place to be, but a great place to be because that means your San Francisco 49ers are red hot and the number one seed. But once we find out who they're playing, now it starts to get really, really interesting. Behind enemy lines will be back for me next week and things like that. So uh, I'm back tomorrow at 8 a.m. with Wake Up. Then I got the great um, – I got the 10.45 tomorrow. I've got the uh, – the great chat sports hero himself uh, joining me at 1045 for a little uh, little uh, conversation on the Niners, giving more of a national perspective. Um, so that's tomorrow. And then Friday afternoon, uh, tomorrow's my 54th birthday. Whoa. Happy so, birthday, Happy Krug. birthday, Larry. Thank you. Thank you. You don't look a day older than 50. You're right. You were a senior when Vish was a freshman. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I was. I was a senior. And he, I, I picked on him. I shoved him in a locker. Oh, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, but, whoa. But we, whoa. no, no, no. I mean, you're a senior and he was a freshman. That's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, that's tough. You don't look a day older than 53 to me. I'll say that to you. Can I, can I tell you a terrible story? Um, yeah, of course, why not? Why not? It's late. So my late father was in the hospital. He's no longer with us. He died during the pandemic. Great guy. Great guy. 
Um, and this was a couple years before the pandemic, right? And he got really dehydrated and he was in, had to be hospitalized and he was just looking like hell. I mean, just freaking like hell, like awful, right? And um, so I go to visit him. He wasn't on death's door. It wasn't like, you know, he was going to live for several more years. It wasn't like I thought he was going to go. But um, <laughs> so I go to the, I call the nurse's station to tell them because you have to be escorted to his room. So um, so I get escorted to his room and I, I can see him from like, you know, 25 yards away. And he's got a tube in his mouth and there, you know, he's got all kinds of stuff all over him and he's and he's looking terrible. Right. And as we're walking there, the nurse looks at me and she goes, is this your brother? This is my brother. He's born in 1937. I'm born in 1970. Is it my brother? I looked at her and I just, I, 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 you know, I wanted to just absolutely shake her and take and cut off her air supply. Uh, and I said, no, actually, that's my father. Thank you. Thank you. Whoa. She asked me if my dad, who was born decades before me, was my brother. That means you're that means looking young when you're old runs in the Kruger family. That's how you should take that. And not only not only was he older, he looked like hell that day. How do you think Kevin's gonna feel when uh he's uh fifty-two <laughs> and somebody goes, Is that your brother at old man Larry Kruger? Oh, <laughs> uh, G Martinez, time to hit the time to hit the gym, Krug. No, I mean it was I, I was so I outraged. Oh uh, my god. Larry, hey, let so me let me ask you this because Vish, you're you're not gonna understand this one yet. Uh enjoy your youth. But Larry, I know that when we're younger, we feel like the the respectful thing is to call men sir, right? That are older than you. Right. And I felt that way my whole entire life until the first time I was called sir. And I was like, no, that's actually not respectful at all. I hate this. There's no way I should have been calling people sir when I was younger. They had to have hated it as well. Do you subscribe to this or are you different than me on this one? Do I want people to call me sir? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, like do, doesn't it make you feel old immediately when you Is get called like sir for the first time? The first time you're me? called sir, it was like a gut punch. Yes, sir. Um, sir, sir you this, know, it's funny. There's a, a lot of message to me, sir. There's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of really uh, like some of the Niner players are really like nice young guys and they'll and they'll drop, sir. Um, it doesn't it doesn't that one doesn't bother me. What bothers me is when they call me Mr. Kruger. Yes, Mr. Mm. Kruger, Mike, Mr. Kruger. I started looking around I'm like, yeah, he's at home with laying next to his wife. Um, call me Larry. <laughs> but I'll say this. You know what I really loved? I was in the locker room the other day and just out of the blue. Ben Barch comes over and he's like, what's going on, Krug? Now that made my day. And I wasn't nice. even wearing a Krug shirt. So I'm like, Ben, uh, uh, how did you know to call me Krug? And he's like, I've seen your show and I've seen you wearing that shirt. I put two and two together. Uh, like, right. That's 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 high level <laughs> intelligence until your 14 year old and Kevin become Krug. And then what do you become? <laughs> yeah, he's all, I'm, he's you know what Kev's called? We just call him the boss man. Call him oh. boss man. Seriously, he's he's constantly leaving me messages about things. And he doesn't go he, say, hey, dad, you know what I was thinking? He's like, dad, do this. 
And I'm like, uh, what do you mean? He's like, do this and then do that and then do this. I want a video on this and I want a video on that. And before you sit down with Jesse and Vish tonight, I want two videos on that. You know, it's like, Jesus. Shout out to him. Good for him. He's, he's the kids all over me. Uh, hey, somebody you know, he gets a cut of the percentage. So he's like, listen, this is yeah. the more you make, the more money I make. So let's figure this thing out. Let's go. I will say I felt honored last week. Unfortunately, I felt sick. So you guys did the show together um, without me. Um, but I felt honored last week to receive the link instead of from an email from Larry Kruger. I, I received directly it from on a Kevin. Twitter DM from mm -hmm. the true mastermind, Kevin Kruger. Made that was good, that was a yeah. special moment. Yeah. <laughs> Someone says, what are your pronouns? Shut the hell up. What are your pronouns? My pronouns are fucking you. <laughs> those are my pronouns um, all right all right here we go here, here we go one last one chicago somebody had it in here chicago Cos pizza? cosmo nailed it chicago pizza did, yeah. or new york pizza and this is coming he's just trying to get us canceled man <laughs> this is coming <laughs> yeah, he's working on it <laughs> this is coming from a guy who you know loves chicago pizza i went to uh i was in arizona at spring training and um, I went to uh, Lou Malnati's in Scottsdale. In Scottsdale. I couldn't believe it. I can't believe it. It was Look really good. I'm, I, I'm literally wearing disbelief on my face. <laughs> people are saying deep dish. Other people say deep yeah. dish is like quiche. Yes. Some Lasagna people with New bread. New York is too, too greasy. Right? I got to go Chicago. Chicago. I, deep dish all the way, man. Yes. Yeah, I'll I'll go deep dish as well. Wow. Um, okay. I, well, there's a lot of people that are really angry about deep dish. Yeah. Yeah. So I I get the deep dish opinions though. Like I get that it's like lasagna with bread, and like there's there's something classic about like a true New York like thin style slice that you fold and you kind of eat and all of that like Sabaro, you know, a classic New York slice. Just ask Michael Scott. Uh, <laughs> I'm messing with you guys, but uh, for me, like deep dish, man, I, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, like. I've grown up eating that like Lou Malnati's has been my jam for my entire life. So it's hard for me to go anywhere else because there's a sentimental value to deep dish. And I feel extra accentuated now that Jesse from neutral Portland and then Tampa Bay, Florida is supporting me with the deep dish. Krug, as a true okay. Chicagoan, you just named like eight different Illinois suburbs. If you don't say lasagna with bread, then <laughs> we're going to have an issue after the show. Well, here's the other question. Lou Malnati's or Gino's East? Lou Malnati's. But have you been to Gino's East? Uh, yeah. Out uh, division? No. Up north side? By, yeah, I've been to Gino's East. By Second yeah. City? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. I kind of like... You been to, have you been to Piquads? Piquads has been the new, like... No, I've heard of it, though. Place. I've heard of it. Yeah, Piquads is... It's good. It's good. <laughs> it's good. This guy says I'm going to get canceled. <laughs> uh, don't Please don't cancel me, YouTube. Please. <laughs> uh, and it's not Dang. Lou Minotti's, it's Lou Malnati's. Mal Illuminati's. I get you, Lou Minotti's. It, it's funny to me because I call it lasagna with bread, and people are calling it pizza soup in the chat. Hey, Cosmo's Cosmo's talking to my heart. Not only is Mexican food my my go to, but Chili Rieno is right where it's at. Chili Rieno's tamales, Ooh. right down my alley. Ooh. I like minimalist tacos. I don't want the beans. I don't want the rice. What do you want? 
I just want the, you know, whatever, the carnitas or the chicken or the okay. steak with some onions and some whatever else they put in there. I want to have onions, cilantro, uh, radishes cilantro, as well. I love radishes. radishes crunch. Maybe. Oh, so good. What's that? What's that little white cheese they put in there that's kind of crumbles a little bit? On oh, top? Uh, yeah, core, yeah. Core, uh... Fresca or something? Fresca? Or, I don't know. No. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want black beans or refried beans and rice. You don't want protein. I don't want any of that. I want a minimalist, <laughs> minimalist taco. Here we go. Hearts says, or he goes Harris. Harris hey. says onions, cilantro, and meat on a small tortilla. Are you are you like a taco truck guy? Or are you a Queso chain fresco, restaurant? Yeah, I, I like taco trucks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, good stuff, good stuff. Appreciate both you guys. Final word on our before we bolt for the door. Uh, it's been a good good live stream. We're two hours and thirty five minutes into it. Uh, we were thinking about going with the foursome with the coach, but then we would be three hours and thirty five minutes into it. Minimum. And still going, still and going, still Minimum. going, yeah, still, still going. going. And Jesse wouldn't be in bed by one a.m. <laughs> Je- I'd have to ref that show. Time. I would just be the ref of the show and let you guys have at it. The three of you guys would get to talking, and I would that just would be, be like, you like, know, what? I'll read the super chats. That would be like imagine <laughs> for the audience, it would be like Krug eight minute soliloquy. Vish, nine minutes soliloquy. Coach, eight minutes soliloquy. Jesse, interrupted by Vish, eight minutes soliloquy. <laughs> like, we would just be on a repeat with that. It'd be like a freaking Shakespeare <laughs> festival. <laughs> well, All right. Krug, if you bring out the vocabulary again, I mean, you've, you've brought it out on a couple shows just so people know you're not just a radio guy. You're a, you know, true English uh, graduate um, you know, you, you, you have great command of the language. I'm, I'm going to allow you to bring out your vocabulary words at, at choice, but you know, you could, G, G Martinez is holding you accountable. And he says 15 minutes, Vish 15. Yeah, touche, touche. <laughs> Last question of the night. No, I'm just joking. Ooh, yeah. Cosmo. <laughs> your favorite Shakespeare play. Julius Caesar. I'm, I'm an Othello man myself. I, I got it. You like Othello? Did you like tragedies? I like tragedies. Well, they're all tragedies. Well, no. Midsummer's Night's Dream is a comedy. Okay, fair enough. Touche. <laughs> comedy, tragedy. Okay, okay but I, I I mean, typically I feel like people usually go Hamlet, Hamlet Macbeth. Yeah. Um, you know, Julie, for me, it's always been Julius Caesar. I don't, uh, I don't know why. It might be because I wrote a very good essay in my junior year of high school for Julius Caesar. Um, so that's what, that might be why it's my favorite Shakespeare book, but yeah. <laughs> Jesse, you got a favorite Shakespeare? <laughs> no, I, no, absolutely not. Okay. The one last one for Jesse, cause he didn't come up with a Shakespeare. <laughs> God, more, like danger, more dangerous downtown Portland or Tampa. Ooh. Portland by far. Is it just on the that town note, that Jesse's in? What's that? Is well, just he just the wants town to know. Jesse's I live in? there. How else would I know? my buddy's a cop in portland and he used to have a desk job and then i said dude so i called him one night late at night and his his wife said he's not home he's at work so i called him i said bro i called him on his cell phone i'm like dude what's going on man um i thought you know you're i thought you were done beating up the bad guys i thought you had a desk job now he's like yeah you know i got tired of it all the bad guys are out at night it's more fun to go kick ass at night. Hey, you know, you know what they call Portland the guys top. with the desk jobs, Larry. What's Mark that? Wahlberg said it all for us. Paper, paper. 
<laughs> I won't say the word to keep you monetized, but you know, paper, what Draymond Green called LeBron, paper, what Draymond Green will not, not shot at your friend. It's just, just quoting the other guys. Quoting Mickey, the other guys. Larry has infinite topics. Peace, <laughs> everybody. Have a great night, guys. Good to see you. See you next Thursday on Jesse's channel. Peace. Yeah, never met a man I've been scared of. Careful, you won't get exactly what you asked for.